There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast Review of Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. The king is dead, Black Panther. He's gone. Part of Now Playing's Avengers and Marvel Comics movie series. The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Hosted by Arnie. Only the most broken people can be big leaders. Jacob. Killing him will risk eternal war. And Stuart. Show what are you prepared to do? At NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find reviews that span the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I can do this all day. But be warned, this episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and mildly objectionable language. And I am guru. Oh, Listener discretion is advised. Gentlemen, you're up. We hope you enjoy the show. Showtime, a-holes! Today, we're reviewing Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Starring Letitia Wright, Lupita Nyong'o, Danae Guerrera, Winston Duke, Florence Kasumba, Dominic Thorne, Tenak Hirta with Martin Freeman, with Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and Angela Bassett, directed by Ryan Coogler. I have many names. My friends call me Kukulpad. My enemies... <laughs> I call you that, too. Oh, there comes Kukulpad. Kukulpad. <laughs> sure, whatever you say. Yeah, we'll call you that if that's your name. Sure. My enemies call me Artie, co-host of Now Playing. And this is your child without love for fishmen, Stuart. And this is Jacob. I know you've been calling me Jacob for the last 80 years, but no, it's Jacob. We got a real Constantine, Constantine situation going on. <laughs> We're back at Marvel. Only been, what, we took a week off for Arnold, but Marvel all the time. It was interesting. I didn't realize. I've lost track of the phases, but I remember reading. I think it was actually our own little blog we put out. This is the end of phase four. Marvel has completed something with the release of Wakanda Forever. Man, if Thanos could just snap away one phase from Marvel's history, <laughs> right? There has been one bright spot in all of Phase 4, and that is Spider-Man, and everything else in Phase 4 is really meh. And without an Avengers film, it doesn't even feel like a phase ended. This feels like a very arbitrary ending, unless this is Kevin Feige's way of saying, the mediocrity is over, we're starting a new phase. 
Yeah, I have to agree. And some of that might be COVID and theaters shut down and all of that. But it just feels like, when did this happen? What did we cover? And as I tried to work backwards, meh is kind. <laughs> I think that it comprises some of Marvel's very worst efforts. I mean, Shang-Chi is my least favorite. Black Widow and Eternals are bad movies. I don't think they're meh. I think they're bad. Doctor Strange and Thor 4 are not correctives. They are problematic films. You're right. Spider-Man No Way Home is a great film, but let's not kid ourselves. It derives a lot of its power from sentimentality and looking backwards. Where's the future thinking? What is Marvel thinking about as it looks ahead? You won't see that in the Spider-Man movie. You won't see it when I reflect on all of these films. I don't know where they're going. You haven't seen that Ant-Man trailer, have you? I haven't. Yeah, they have announced... There are two more Avengers films on the way, and Ant-Man, really Loki, but then Ant-Man is what's kicking off that plan. But we've got Ant-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Marvels, Captain America, Thunderbolts, and then eventually two Avengers films, one of which excites me, called Secret Wars, because that's one of my all-time favorite comic arcs. But yeah, this really feels like a rebuilding season. After losing Iron Man, after losing Captain America, after being forced by Disney high-ups that you must produce content for our new streaming service so that people feel obligated to subscribe. I mean, you mentioned all the movies in Phase 4, but what about all the TV yeah. in Phase 4? <laughs> Other than Ms. Marvel, those could be snapped too, I think. <laughs> no, actually, I feel like they are more confident in their identity. They seem to know what they are, and they seem to work strong. Most of the TV shows are better than most of the movies in this phase. I think WandaVision and Loki are easily better than everything except Spider-Man. Now, even that's begun to pale. You guys were high on Hawkeye. I was not. Moon Knight, problematic. The novelty may be wearing off, but I feel like if there is a future, it does feel like looking at the smaller characters in a streaming service. There's no epic. There's no big left. And Black Panther would be it, except they don't have Black Panther. Like, this is the mystery as we approach this new film. It's the most curious, giant question mark of the year. How do you make this movie without Chadwick Boseman? And there was a movement on Twitter, and I kind of align myself with it. The hashtag recast T'Challa. Now, I understand director Ryan Coogler, Kevin Feige, everybody is really close to Chadwick Boseman. They had a friendship. They had a relationship there. Ryan Coogler said that Boseman was heavily involved in input where the character should go and what it should do. I'm a bit detached when it comes to celebrity death. I'll be honest. When a celebrity dies, I don't cry. I know some people do. You didn't smash a watermelon for Gallagher? I did not. I just don't know these people. I may mourn the loss of their art, but I can't take it personal when a celebrity dies. However, Chadwick Boseman's death hit me harder than most. I don't know why, maybe because he's younger than me, <laughs> maybe because I really like him, not just in Marvel movies, I thought he was a really gifted actor, but I still think a generation of people look up to Black Panther. Yeah. You have recast for lesser reasons, looking at you, Edward Norton, I think the best way to go forward would have been to recast T'Challa and have a new person step into that role and keep that hero, keep some hero that we know in the MCU. 
But correct me if I'm wrong, this movie was in pre-production, maybe even filming, when he died, right? Like, they already had a concept of him completing this film, and then they had to go, oh, wait, we have to mourn the loss of a guiding force, and then we have to figure out what we're doing without him. Yeah, they hadn't started filming. I mean, not at all. They had drafts of a script. They had a very firm idea where it was going to go. Do we have any sense about what that is and how much it's like what we're watching? Ryan Coogler said we would be shocked at how similar the scripts are. I can see that. That was on my mind as I was watching this. And yeah, obviously you got to address Bozeman's situation with him passing. But a lot of this, you reframe a few things and you, if he was still alive, you'd still have pretty much the same story. Yeah, Namor was always the villain. Okay. I think that was a Marvel mandate because Coogler had said in an interview, Marvel had an idea where they wanted the sequel to go and who they wanted the villain to be. And they had written the script pretty much as is with Black Panther there. And what Coogler said is once they decided they weren't going to have T'Challa in it, they just went through the script and kind of did what if situation. What if he wasn't there? How would people react to the things Namor is doing? So we get the same story He even said that the overall tone of the film, of mourning, was similar because the film was going to focus on T'Challa dealing with the fact that he missed five years of his life during the blip. He was snapped away and coming back, and he was going to be mourning that time lost and the things that had happened to him. So the feeling of mourning and of anger, those themes, were still there in the original script. So it is a little bit, from what he says, shocking that you're able to remove the main character and have the similar film. It is, it isn't, because if you recall, when I reviewed that 2018 original, that was actually my one complaint, was I felt like everything around Black Panther outshone him. That Wakanda itself, the culture, was so exciting and inspiring for so many people, like the hero hadn't lived up to it yet. It wasn't that Chadwick was bad, it was just that I felt like he was kind of in the backseat, and it was the supporting characters who really stole the show. For me, rather guiltily, I felt like they could go on without him. It's just weird to call it Black Panther, knowing that it was his role. Your suggestion was we could have hired somebody else. There were rumors, right? I even heard a weird rumor that Michael B. Jordan was somehow going to take that on. Because he was so great as the villain in that first one, we really want that guy to come back somehow. I don't think it could have worked. That would have been weird. I was surprised at the reaction with Bozeman's death because, I don't know, I guess I didn't have that deep of a tie to this Black Panther movie or his career. I'm like you, Arnie, unless I have a personal connection. Celebrity deaths, again, usually I hear about them and go, oh, that person was still alive? Like, that's typically my reaction. (laughs) That was me with Gallagher. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But unless, like, Harvey Picard, I got to spend a couple hours talking to him. And yes, that's my level of celebrity, but that meant something to me when he passed this. I'm with you, Stuart. Like, Black Panther was kind of the most boring part about that first Black Panther one. I like that world, that Mm Afrofuturism. So, to me, like, I'm like, yeah, just move on. Just pick someone else. Like, I don't see what the challenge is because I didn't have that deep mourning that a lot of fans were feeling. But you got to recognize that Chadwick Boseman 
Bozeman had played other different roles, and he was starting to develop the persona of a black icon, specifically that he was taking on parts that really were inspirational for black America and the world, and the fact that he was a celebrity, and the fact that the whole world celebrated a movie that, frankly, up to that point, there was a stigma if a black actor was in the lead role, it was thought that it wouldn't play around the world. I mean, he opened a lot of doors. No, I and I understand all that. I just, again, celebrity deaths don't mean that much to me. So for this, I'm like, yeah, you can move on. What's the problem? But I, I understand your point. Guiltily, because I liked Letitia Wright so much in that first one, when I heard the rumor that she was going to take it over, I was kind of like, oh, that's perfect. I actually think that'll be great. I was hoping that was it. I wasn't sure going in. The marketing did a damn good job of hiding the fact, I don't know if you guys were spoiled, about who was going to do this. Yeah, but you don't really pay attention to marketing. And for this, I saw a couple trailers and I thought it was obvious. I'm like, oh, sure, he's going to be the new Black Panther. Like, I didn't feel they really tried to hide that. I knew in the comics Shuri became Black Panther for a period, but they did release action figures and things, and the text was so clumsily written because they couldn't reveal it was Shuri, and I did wonder, even while watching this movie, if they might mix it up, if they might really do something unexpected and make it Nakia or make it Okoye. They could have gone that way. All I knew was that it was a female Black Panther, If I was in Vegas, I'd probably have bet heavily on Shuri, but I wouldn't have felt 100%. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I, I felt like it probably wasn't going to be CGI Bozeman. That was the one thing I was like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's too risky, right? And in fact, you're right. The previews definitely told you he was dead. There was a funeral procession. So I, I picked up on those clues. And don't tell me I'm not into tie-ins. I went to AMC and tried their exclusive Black Panther flavor. You can get Sprite Zero Sugar Berry Fusion, which kind of tasted like a carbonated vitamin water. And they had some alcoholic drink, some purple rum thing called Eternal Spirit. I wasn't up for drinking, but, you know, they're trying. Was there a big marketing push for this? I do feel like this movie, I saw one trailer. It was a powerful trailer. I thought it was a great trailer. Yes. Uh, But I saw nothing else about this movie. It seemed to coast on the anticipation that we weren't to know. The less they told us, the more we wanted to see. Yeah, that Sprite is available in stores as well as at AMC. Those alcoholic beverages are never licensed. They're always alluding to the movie there, but Disney won't license them to use alcoholic (laughs) beverages. Gotcha. If you really want the Wakanda experience, go order a Happy Meal. There's a Happy Meal tie-in and 10 toys and all of that. And Marvel did what Marvel does. I think they've got a pattern now of two trailers, a teaser trailer and a regular trailer. They never really release trailers until the previous movie is out or almost out, so they didn't have a huge period of time marketing this film. But they were pretty open with spoilers, like... From trailers and action figures, I knew Riri Williams, Ironheart was going to be in this. I knew there was a female Black Panther. Us comic fans knew. Stewart's probably like, Riri what? Yeah, I heard you guys off mic. You guys were like, Riri's in this. I was like, I don't know what that means. And there was nothing about the trailer, again, that felt like it told us anything conclusive other than T'Challa was dead and people would be picking up the pieces. I didn't know about no Riri. I don't even know Namor. Is this a thing? This is this Marvel's Aquaman? You don't know Namor? 
Aquaman is DC's Namor. Namor goes back all the way to 1930s. Like, one of the first superheroes before Marvel was a thing when they were still timely comics. He teamed up with the Human Torch and Captain America to fight the Nazis with the team called the Invaders. And then when Marvel kind of, like, became Marvel in the 60s with the birth of the Fantastic Four, they reinvented him as... A hero, he, he's kind of like Black Adam. Sometimes he's a hero, sometimes he's a villain, sometimes he's an anti-hero. When he came back in the 60s, he was definitely a villain. My thing with Namor is, he's just horny for Sue Storm. He's always trying to break up Sue and Reed Richards. Like, he wants that invisible woman so bad. But, I mean, he's a member of the Illuminati. We talked about Doctor Strange coming out this year. Like, he was a member of that. So, very powerful figure in the Marvel Universe. But, yeah, he'll ride that line. Sometimes he was a villain in the past. I think now they play him more as an anti-hero. Is he Latin? He is Atlantean. Okay. The lost city of Atlantis. I mean, Atlantean mother, seafaring father, that's a human. He's something in between. He is considered Marvel's first mutant as far as maybe not in the timeline if you look at like their very convoluted history. But as far as publishing goes, yeah, he's always been considered a mutant. That's the word they used even before they had X-Men for him. Yeah, I've read comics with Namor in them. Never my favorite character. There were even cartoons with Namor in the 60s. I mean, this is an old character. I believe he's older than Captain America as far as publishing goes. Yeah, by a year or two, yeah. Hmm. And I've always thought of him, again, as a dick. It was always weird to me that he had his own comics there. He was the hero because he always came off like, I'm going to destroy the entire surface world and screw all of you and I'm going to steal Reed Richards' wife. I mean, that is his most prominent trait. And then he became one of the X-Men because he is a mutant. And so there was a period where he joined X-Men and they changed his personality for that. But yeah, I know him as the white dude in the green Speedo with the wings on his feet. I mean, you knew about the wings? Yep. Oh my God. I couldn't believe when I saw that trailer, Stuart, and I agree with you, that first teaser was very powerful. Like, again, first Black Panther, kind of middle of the road with my Marvel ranking for me, but I saw that trailer. I'm like, wow, they're really leaning into this tone of mourning and and death. And there was something powerful about that. But then I saw Namor and I'm like, whoa, they got the wings on the ankles. They're going with it. (laughs) I can't believe they flap though. I mean, they do close-ups on those things. Like they go whole hog. They're like, we're doubling down on these wings. I will admit there were giggles in my audience when they started flapping. (laughs) Yeah. How could you not? I mean, I was not prepared. I will save it for when we get to But I just, I couldn't believe that this would be the conception of what you want to follow Bozeman and Killmonger. Like, that just, wow. Like, here's the thing that I really thought. Because he reminded me so much of Aquaman, I believed there was going to be a pivot. That he was going to actually not be the villain. He was going to be the anti-hero that would join forces with Wakanda and that there would be a super villain. And maybe there is. We can talk about it. It might be the white guy. But I was not prepared to embrace him for the wings and for his notoriety. I just didn't believe that he was going to be the villain until, I don't know, almost the end of the film. I would say besides those wings and pointed ears and those green trunks, like a very different imagining or reimagining of mm-hmm. Namor or Namor. Namor. All the Wakandans call him Namor, though. Maybe it's that Wakandan accent, but they don't call him Namor. Mm. 
Now, how do you guys see it? I went only once. It's a long movie. I just wasn't up for giving six hours in the last 48. But I did see it on Thursday. There was just one screening in IMAX of 3D. So I thought that would be the one to see. And because I'm an AMC member, I didn't have to pay the $25 ticket price. That must have scared most people away. That and the fact that it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It wasn't very (laughs) populated. There wasn't that many people. How was the 3D? Not very 3D. Uh, post-conversion. I mean, it looked great on IMAX, of course, but... Do those wings pop out right at you when they get close to the screen? Let me just put it this way. There was a trailer for Avatar before this movie, and it looked better than this movie. <laughs> Not surprising. I also saw this Thursday night. There's more people than I expected. Maybe that's because Friday was Veterans Day, so no school, no work for many people. But not a... Very reactionary crowd in the way. I Look, this is a very somber film. Not a lot of laughs. Cosplay? No, no cosplay. I dare someone to name more it. Just, I dare you. Just get those wings on your feet. Come flapping in the theater. We'll all celebrate you. We promise. I went twice. I did spend six hours of the past 48. Woo. The first time there was a Black Panther double feature for the premiere. And I thought, I need to rewatch Black Panther. I haven't seen it since Endgame. I really wanted to be fresh with that, to compare it with this new one. So I thought a double feature was the way to go. And the fact that they were giving out exclusive coins that said, made in Wakanda, didn't hurt (laughs) matters. And it was a sold out double feature, which shocked me because it started at noon. I took a day off work Veterans Day, I got a four-day weekend, I'm not going to complain about that. And I watched them in quick succession, back-to-back, and then I did want to see it in IMAX, the double feature was not IMAX, this did have selective scenes filmed in the IMAX ratio, and so I went back the next day and saw just this one in IMAX, and that one was also... Maybe a third full at best, but I did go to a 4 p.m. showing. The 7 p.m. was showing close to sold out, but the 4 p.m., not a lot of people cutting out of work on Veterans Day to catch an early showing of Black Panther. And not a lot of reaction. I mean, I was thinking about this the second time I saw the film. You guys always talk about your emotive audiences, and I'm like, I've lived in Illinois, I've lived in Texas, I've gone to movies in New York. I never get these (laughs) excited audiences, not even at the fan double feature There were maybe some giggles at a couple of M'Baku lines, and that's about it. Oh, I was definitely sitting in front of a couple, an older couple, who didn't look like the typical superhero crowd, but they definitely made comment, and I thought it was helpful, actually, to know. Their reactions mirrored my own, but let's get into those reactions. Let's get into Wakanda forever. Arnie, give them the plot. Wakanda is reeling from the recent death of its monarch, King T'Challa. While the king's mother, Ramonda, played by Angela Bassett, has taken the mantle of queen ruler, Wakanda is without its protector as the Black Panther is dead, and the heart-shaped herb that gave the powers were all burned by Killmonger. Taking the death especially hard is T'Challa's younger sister, Shuri, played by Letitia Wright. Many governments sense this is the time to try and gain control of Wakanda's vibranium, though all who have tried to take it by force have failed. The United States government has taken to searching the world for any vibranium outside of Wakanda's rule. Using a vibranium-tracking rover, they found some at the bottom of the ocean, but the joint CIA and Navy SEAL team tasked with recovering the rare metal was killed by blue-skinned people who breathe underwater. The Americans blame Wakanda for the bloody assault, but Ramonda knows the truth. King Namor visited the Queen. He is ruler of the underwater nation of Talokan. 
His people are all water breathers, though Namor himself is an amphibious mutant with wings on his ankles that allow him to fly. Namor resents the incursion into his territory by the U.S. forces, and he demands the Wakandans find the scientist who developed the vibranium tracking machine. Namor then wants that scientist turned over to the Talakan people, where they will be executed. Shuri and Wakandan General Okoye, played by Danny Guerrera, go to the U.S. to find that scientist, not to kill them, but to provide protection from Namor. The inventor of the vibranium machine turns out to be 19-year-old MIT student Riri Williams, played by Dominic Thorne. They try and take Riri back to Wakanda, but they're attacked by Namor's troops, and Shuri and Riri are taken captive. Outraged at the loss of her only remaining child, Queen Ramona strips Okoye of her rank and seeks help from Tatala's former lover and former Wakandan spy, Nakia, played by Lupita Nyong'o. Nakia follows the trails until she finds where Shuri is being held captive. For his part, Namor is being a good host to Shuri. He gives her a tour of his kingdom and explains his goal. He expects war with the surface dwellers, and he intends to win by striking first. He wants Wakanda to join him in this war, and if not, then Wakanda will be the first country Namor destroys. That seems more likely when Nakia rescues Riri and Shuri, killing two Talokan troops in the process. In retaliation, Namor leads an assault on Wakanda, which kills Queen Ramona. Namor demands Shuri give an answer in one week if Wakanda will join forces to destroy the rest of the world. Using artificial intelligence, Shuri is able to recreate the heart-shaped herb. She ingests its juice and becomes a new Black Panther. Engulfed by rage over the death of her mother, she wants to use this new power to see Namor dead. She sets a trap for the Talakan ruler on a boat in the Atlantic so as to keep the fighting away from Wakanda. They lure Namor and his warriors to the boat, where they fight off armed Wakandans, plus Riri Williams in an Iron Man-like mech suit, and Okoye and another troop Anika also wearing flying armor. Shuri succeeds in separating Namor from his people and getting him into the desert. She had realized water is the source of Namor's power, and in the arid land, Shuri is able to beat him. She puts her blade to his throat, but resists avenging her mother's death. Instead, Shuri puts forth an agreement— Wakanda will keep secret the existence of Namor and his people. Also, Wakanda will keep the rest of the world out of the ocean seeking vibranium. In exchange, the Talakan return to their underwater kingdom. Namor agrees. This ends the hostilities between the two peoples, though Namor predicts countries will attack Wakanda and the Wakandans will turn to the Talakan for help. And Shuri travels to Haiti to see Nakia, where she meets Nakia's son, Prince T'Challa, secret offspring of King T'Challa. As credits roll. As they start, they're just going to throw us in here. We're just to understand that Chadwick's struggle with disease was also King Chichala's struggle with disease. We don't know what it was, but he just got ill suddenly and died. Yeah, because Bozeman kept his cancer secret is my understanding. That's my memory. And that's how it feels here. Like, oh, yeah, he just died into something. We didn't even know he had it. Yeah, we're going to find out later. He had told a couple of people Nakia knew and things like that. But he had kept his illness secret. And I'm sorry. I understand you're trying to pay respect to Chadwick Bozeman, but you're telling me this heart-shaped herb can give superpowers, bring him back from near death after falling off a waterfall, but whatever this mysterious illness is, they never say in the movie, the heart-shaped herb he took isn't enough. Shuri is trying to recreate through 3D printing a new heart-shaped herb, like a second one is going to be the cure for this. This is creaky. This is straining the logic of Marvel in order to 
deal with the situation of Chadwick's death, and it makes it thematic, but it certainly is a lackluster death for an Avenger. Well, it's off screen. Yeah, I mean, how are you going to depict his death? Do you see him getting shot by someone? Do you CGI him and show that he's diseased from something? Their hands are tied. Whatever they're going to do, they're going to get criticism for. I don't have a problem with like, yeah, he's sick with something. Let's try to get more of that magic plant that was all destroyed by Killmonger in the last film. I don't know. I don't see this as a problem for Marvel or its logic or anything like that. It is what they had to do. You're right. Hands tied is what I was thinking about. Like, we don't have any footage to show and we really feel like doing some kind of digital job for any amount of time would be wrong. And I think that's true. If you're not going to just totally call out and say, new actor, and we're going to just pretend, kind of like what they did with War Machine, Rhodey. Yeah. When suddenly Don Cheadle is Terrence Howard, like, if you're not doing that, then this is probably as good as you can do. And I thought it was interesting that the first thing we hear, we don't even see... It's a prayer from Shiri, and this is her arc, because she will spend most of the movie against religion, and we really need to know that at one point, before he died, she was praying. It is the guilt and the anger that God took away her brother that she has to wrestle with in order to step into the suit. She's Black Panther, and I pretty much figured that out by beginning this way. It seemed to confirm the idea that this would be her struggle in her arc. I couldn't understand, though. She says the name, I think, of a god, and then later she's talking to something else, which is the AI. Who is that? And is that a Stark AI? This was in the first movie, which I, having just seen it, don't remember. I wrote Cleo down, because that was the closest I could get. That's what I thought it was, like the psychic. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> it's Cleo? <laughs> that would be a cameo for all cameos. But anyway, so this wasn't Stark technology she acquired when she met Tony? No, they're isolationists. She had all this stuff before that. Like, she is the science person. All right. For whatever reason, she and her science can't make the flower in time, and we get... Basically, what I remember from the trailer, this parade where it's almost like a New Orleans funeral, where people are dancing and singing and smiling as a way of fighting off the pain and wearing white. Shiri is the only one whose face is veiled. She falls on this vibranium coffin. For her, she's not able to go with the ritual. And that was her character in the first one, too, that because she liked technology, she just wasn't about tradition. And then I want to say, like, right at the beginning here, starting off with this funeral, like, beautiful-looking movie, like, striking images, costumes. I'm taken in. Like, again, okay, a celebrity died. That's sad. It's more sad for other people than it definitely was for me. But I get caught up in the emotion of this funeral because the filmmaking is just so striking and grabs me and pulls me in with its beauty. The vision of Wakanda felt fully realized in that first film between the... CGI that creates the city, as well as the costume design. I believe it won an Oscar for costume design that year. Mm -hmm. It did. And I could see it doing so again this time around. Yeah, it should win for this. <laughs> it's just a wonderful vision of this alternate reality. I'll say right off the top, the CGI in this film's pretty flawless. Its view of the city is great. Uh, you know that was on their mind. Come on. Like, that had to be an <laughs> edict from the heads at the top. Like, don't screw up the CGI in this. There's one shot. There's one shot that is horrible. I'll get to it. It's right at the end. 
But for the most part, visually, it was a great looking movie, but it was the Panthers fighting specifically. It was the rendering of those characters in their fist fight at the end that just needed more time. It was just a matter of we have to go with this unfinished CGI work. I mean, literally a CGI artist for Marvel who I think worked on Black Panther because he addressed that CGI came out maybe a year ago saying, hey, here's why there's so much shoddy CGI in Marvel films. Like a lot of times he said the director doesn't even see the final product. It's just like, it goes off and some supervisor approves it and it gets thrown into the movie. Like, and of course they're rushed, underpaid, overworked, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I noticed Shiri is holding the Black Panther mask. I think she will wear a different mask. I think this is retiring the look of T'Challa's Panther forever. And, you know, he gets beamed up into the sky and whatever. We see a mural of Chadwick. And they do a nice little goodbye extended Marvel logo when we get the, what normally is just the anthem and the Marvel Studios insignia. With all the different characters, all the Avengers, here it's just Bozeman. Yeah, purple, just wind... Yep. It is a wonderful little homage. I mean, they don't have a whole lot of footage of T'Challa. He had one movie plus Civil War, and I barely remember him in Endgame, but he was in Infinity War pretty notably. But a really nice tribute. All of the text, because they always have lines from the script there, all of the text was T'Challa text. That was perhaps the most moving thing to me. The funeral... I was just taking it in, but when you see this tribute, you see the man brought back on the screen like this. Yeah, that got me in the feels. Sadly, did you guys realize that his final performance as Black Panther is some what-ifs? No. I know he's Star-Lord in one of those. (laughs) Yes, a really stupid episode where he becomes Star-Lord. Like, that's his swan song? So they used that. They actually, he was still around to use his voice for that. Yeah. Yeah. But not how you want to remember him. This is nicer. (laughs) And then we jump one year later, and we have Angela Bassett, always one of my favorite actresses, always so regal, commanding. I mean, she's a queen always, but here is Queen Ramonda barging into the UN and saying, don't be thinking because we don't have Black Panther, we can't hurt you. Curious about this moment, because if you watch the original, I had forgotten this detail, but I did watch it a few days before this, it seemed like Wakanda was opening up. It seemed like... King T'Challa was going to build a center in Oakland and share his technology, and Vibranium was going to be a tradable commodity. That was my memory. I didn't go back and watch the first Black Panther, but the end stinger was, oh, we're going to open up and we're going to share all of this. And so I agree, Bassett's performance here, like, this is where I get grabbed into the movie and just pulled in when she's addressing the world and how, yeah, they are now pulling back. They are mourning and I do wonder, like, if Bozeman was still around, if T'Challa was still in this film, would they have come up with some reason for them to withdraw and become isolationists again? So much of this film is just about the mourning process and grieving. Like, yeah, this feels right. Like, we have lost our protector. You're trying to take advantage of us. You're trying to exploit us. We're like the one nation in Africa that hasn't been exploited. And so we're going to circle the wagons and, and go isolationists again because we see what you really want. It seems like T'Challa saying we're going to open up was a mistake because Ramonda is not following that. But we do see during this UN scene, there is a Wakanda outreach center in Mali. And that's what T'Challa was building in Oakland where these Wakanda outreach centers. And he said he was going to share their technology. It does kind of make sense that he wouldn't want to share the vibranium. Vibranium might just be too dangerous a resource to let outside of Wakanda's rule which is what 
Ramonda says here is it's not vibranium that's dangerous. It's you guys. It's the French. It's the Americans. She's given a hard, ugly stare at France. And indeed, we'll find out that the SWAT team that swoops into Mali were French dudes. They get marched in here as POWs. They just almost try to downplay that America was also probably involved in this. And I feel like there seems to be some struggle to voice the fact that America is the villain of this movie. I didn't get that impression because so much more of this film is going to be like, the Americans are going to attack us. We got to go to America. That's where Riri is, who made this machine that the CIA stole. Like, yeah, here at the beginning, it feels like Wakanda versus the world. But I do feel as it goes on, it's America is the threat. This is also where we get our first action scene. This movie is two hours and 40 minutes long and pretty light on action. Maybe you're jive with that. But I think for a Marvel movie, it's pretty somber. But they do want want us periodically to feel some excitements. We see Okoye, who was, again, a standout character, swinging her spear, her staff, and uh, introducing a new character, Anika, who uh, is more untraditional, who doesn't want to have the spear. She has those laser daggers. Yeah, she borrowed them from Shuri, it turns out. I thought potentially she could be a rogue element, like she could align with the villains or something. This film has too many characters, and Anika is one that's here. I read she's from the comics, I don't know her, and I think she's not really given enough to do in order to be the character she is. You say too many characters, and for me, this is not... Black Panther. This is Wakanda forever. Wakanda is the character. Namor's people is the character. Right from this UN scene and then we see, yeah, French mercenaries go in and they get fought off. All of a sudden I'm like, wait, are we getting, it's not quite a Tom Clancy techno thriller, but like, are we getting some kind of political thriller? Like this feels like it's more about nations and coming into conflict and yeah, not about all these characters we're going to have to sit here and name throughout the film. I agree. I kind of wish it was just called Wakanda Forever with no Black Panther in it. I wish they didn't feel the pressure. It's just an interesting concept that they're wrestling with of what is Wakanda without, you know, its bald eagle. Its iconic image is this Black Panther, but do they really need it? And there are so many strong female characters here. Yeah, I also think because Michaela Coel had a great uh, run last year, I don't know if you saw her HBO show, I May Destroy You, but she got a lot of notoriety. She's an incredible performer. I just was expecting her to do more. You're right. She gets lost in the shuffle. I barely even noticed that she's gay at the end. She gets like a kiss on the head from one of the women. She is? She gives the kiss on the head to the new general is what it is. And the general says, thank you, my love. And she was gay in the comics. That's one of the things I've read when just seeing if this character existed. Yeah. But uh, again, what I'm combing the supporting characters for now is, yes, what do they represent? How will they deal with the chaos of the fallout of having no unifying figure? But if Black Panther was the thing holding them together, what are they in the face of disorganization? And even though Ramonda is talking tough, I sense her fear. She's, of course, going to present the idea of don't mess with us. But on the plane ride back, you can see the idea that it concerns her. There is no Black Panther. And that how will they be able to, you know, withstand the world, particularly once they find out that Vibranium 
is not their sole possession, that there is a quantity of some amount on the seafloor that we have discovered in what I'm going to call the best scene of the movie. It is Lake Bell. I don't know why she's got such a throwaway role here. I know her from the TV show Boston Legal. I mean, I feel like she's a name actress. And yet here she is just as a CIA operative to espouse some exposition and then die. Dr. Graham, we haven't heard of this character before. This is not an important character to anything. It, it probably has a name in the comics, but no, not someone, not getting her own solo run. Okay, good. Relieved about that. <laughs> Although I thought she was really cool. I love how she doesn't crack under pressure when during this tack. But the one to be like starstruck by is, did you recognize the guy she's with that's bringing her coffee? It's RoboCop. It's Robert Burke from RoboCop 3. <laughs> Not my RoboCop. <laughs> you got me really confused. I'm like, did I miss Peter Weller? Uh, yeah, I'm like, there's no Peter Weller. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, wait, there was a remake. I completely forgot RoboCop 3. <laughs> I thought you're going for the TV show, that Prime Directives thing, which, oh, boy. Mm-mm, no, no, that, you're right. Everyone's least favorite RoboCop is here to bring coffee to this <laughs> actress who, yeah, really commanding. You know, she's very confidently sending these people in deep sea suits to investigate. They've got this thing that looks like a tractor that is the only thing in the world. It was mentioned in the UN that there's no metal detector that can detect vibranium, which is why it's so threatening as a weapon, is that you could smuggle it in anyway. In a bomb, this could be really a problem. They have a magic device that has confirmed that what they're drilling into in the bottom is vibranium. But it's, okay, you you said, what was the name of this culture? I kept saying, because his name is Namor and he has a girlfriend named Namora, I just kept calling them Namorians. Like everything was Namor, Namor. They're Talacan, but Namora is his cousin, not his girlfriend. Oh, Okay. Talacan is the name, so I guess they're Talacans, Talaconans, I don't know. <laughs> I just called them the Talacan, you know, I didn't try to plural it. <laughs> mm -hmm. I just called them the Namors in my notes. <laughs> I called them Atlanteans. <laughs> it's spoken for, and I want to dig a little bit into this, because I did watch kind of a puffy ABC News, Robin Roberts did a whole, we're going to take you behind Wakanda as a promo for this. And what the director spoke to, Ryan Coogler said what he was excited about. Because let's face it, Black Panther is more than just an action movie. It was a cultural moment. It meant a lot for black people throughout the world to see black identity portrayed so large and heroically. This was an expansion. We are going to be able to talk about black people in South America and talk about the sometimes uncomfortable connection between African and South American. That seems like it was invented for this movie. You're telling me that Namor up to this point was not Latin. No, this is all invented for this movie. And I guess some fanboys are super upset about this. And I thought it was genius to recontextualize Namor. Yeah, coming from an oppressed society, just yeah. like Wakandans could identify with being in Africa and seeing what's going on with the nations around them. Like, this makes sense. Instead of doing the Lost City of Atlanta, again, this MCU is much more grounded. Like, you could have the Lost City of Atlanta with Aquaman 
Aquaman in the DC Cinematic Universe here, I totally go with it. I think it's a genius move. I like it as well because if you'd gone with Atlantis and everything, everybody would be making comparisons to Aquaman because Aquaman got to the movie first. I also feel like, yes, Wakanda is not a real place, but it definitely is standing in. Like, it's representing something. I don't know. If now you have Atlanteans, that feels like you're making it too much of a myth. You're removing it more and more from what people found so powerful about Wakanda and Black Panther. So making it more real world, I think, just helps reinforce what people love about what Wakanda represents. Mm-hmm. And it's scary. I mean, this is a powerful scene when all of a sudden the people on the oil rig are like looking out and there's faces in the water and that music kicks in. And all of a sudden I was thinking about, you know, about Havana syndrome. Are you familiar with this whole concept where CIA agents in Cuba have been totally debilitated? Like they have constant headaches. They can't walk anymore because there's supposedly these sound attacks. That there's some kind of frequency that can be put out there that can like make you hurt in some ways. I was thinking about that as all of a sudden all these people started walking off the platform to their death. I thought that was the score. I thought that was like the theme song for the Talacan. And then it turned out that the people in the movie could hear it. (laughs) Yeah, I was wondering, is this the score or because these are water people, I'm not thinking CIA Havana syndrome. I'm thinking sirens, Ulysses, like they sing and it seems like these soldiers on this boat, they have no control. They have to follow this impulse. I mean, we'll see if you cover your ears, it doesn't affect you. But to me, yeah, we're going with the sirens from mythology here. And Dr. Graham is so cool. She's like, okay, I got the earbuds ready. I got my gun. I'm just going to shoot my way to the helipad. Again, she's a bad ass character i really like her i'm sad i mean it's frightening like she gets to the chopper and then like they tear the doors off they're riding the thing i'm like it's like a horror movie i'm like this is intense (laughs) yeah i'm right there with you i'm like you said there's not a lot of action in this film but i feel like when there is it pays off Yeah, this scene is my favorite action scene as well. And what's great is you think Lake Bell gets away because the chopper finally flies away and you're like, okay, two survivors. I mean, the Talacan are massacring people here. Everybody on that boat is dead. Yeah, no witnesses. (laughs) Then they're like, the helicopter's flying backwards. And this is the reveal of Namor as he flies up there, grabs the helicopter and destroys it. It's a great entrance to introduce us to a character that's going to be described as strong as the Hulk, which you must be because there's no way to get leverage if you're flying. So how you throw a helicopter, he has to have a lot of upper body strength. And they're minimizing his look. He is silhouette at this point. We don't really see him for another 10 minutes. I, again, I'm just going to assert, it kind of is like what happened with Wanda in that Doctor Strange movie. I'm like, I keep thinking, oh, this can't be the bad guy but at the same time i'm like this is really bad i don't know how he's going to come back from the idea we're going to have to find out that dr graham was involved in something really awful and and that the big bad will be in her lab or something I think we have to, we're all American here. We're all born in this country. I do think if you turn the tables, like if, and we'll get more into this, I'm sure. But if you are Namor, you've seen what colonists do. Now they're coming into your territory, trying to take your resources. Like America, if we had the vibranium, we would be just as ruthless. We would be massacring people too. Like, so yeah, I don't see him as an outright villain. I know that's how they're going to portray him in this film more or less. But again, political thriller is how I see this geopolitical political thriller, everyone's got a point of view that's valid here. And it's definitely worth highlighting the way America has treated Africa, including its people, shows that very fact. 
I do like there's a little Easter egg here because we're going to see this boat report being told by Anderson Cooper on <laughs> CNN and they're blaming the Wakandans for this boat massacre. But at the bottom, I always like watching these Marvel movies. There's the CNN ticker. Yeah. And on the second time watching this, it said Scott Lang is touring in support of his autobiography. Look out for the little guy. So maybe that's a little glimpse into what's coming in Quantum Mania. <laughs> They're good with that. I'm sure combing this, you would find lots of little details going on. But yes, the assumption is the only people that could have taken out this oil platform and that would have vibranium would be Wakandans. And we know that's not true. We've seen that they're blue. They look really scary. Wakanda's about to find out as well. Ramonda goes to Shuri's lab and is like, are you working on the heart-shaped herb? That's the big thing for Ramonda is Shuri should be continuing the work she did when T'Challa died. Shuri is more busy into AI, which Ramonda thinks will kill us all. And Shuri says, not like the movies. I'm guessing the movie she's referring to is Age of Ultron. Was that a movie in the MCU? I don't know, but AI did try to kill them all. Yeah, the queen wants that herb back because that's how you get a Black Panther. I guess you have to go on that journey when you drink its extract and then you get the powers. Again, that's very much the debate, like science versus traditionalism or religion, mysticism. Shuri is such a scientist. Yeah, she believes I control the AI. It only does what I want, even if it is intelligent. Not only that, but it's worth pointing out that what Shuri is working on specifically is a blue exosuit. An Iron Man suit? Basically. Yeah, well, it's like an Iron Man suit, but more to the point, I just think of it if these new characters are blue and Shuri is not in line with the traditions of Wakanda, this could be a way of visualizing the fact that she is going to be seduced by Namor once she learns about their culture. I expected that to happen just by her, you know, celebrating blue warriors here. But, you know, mom, in trying to convince daughter to get on board, they go on safari. She takes her off by a river. And I think she's about to tell her the end stinger, right? She's about to tell her, you know, your brother had a kid. And yeah, she knows this by this point. Yeah, it's the one year anniversary of T'Challa's death. They're there to burn his funeral robes. I want to know exactly who stripped the funeral robes off the corpse after that vibranium coffin was taken up into the talent fighter. Shuri even asks the queen, where did you get these? And the queen's like, ah, don't don't worry about it. <laughs> But mm -hmm. Shuri is not ready to burn the robes, not ready to say goodbye. She says she wants the world to burn, not the robes to burn. Yeah, not the robes, but the world. She's got a lot of anger. And to me, obviously, they're playing this because of T'Challa's death. And that's what these characters are going through. I also feel like, OK, it's 2022. Yeah, COVID's probably going up again because it's winter. But I do feel like we are coming out of this pandemic and you hear stories about like road rage going up and people are just angrier now. And like we are a wounded people after going through a pandemic where we saw lots of death, politics and all that, like it just things blew up. And so I do like, yeah, when she says, I just want to burn the world, like I feel like a lot of people feel that way right now in these trying times. And again, suggest the idea that she could be tempted to go with another culture that's coming out of the water. But it's game over for Namor as soon as we see the wings, right? As soon as he rises <laughs> up out of this river, I can't believe it. It's like a deal breaker. It's like, nope. 
not going with this guy. <laughs> Stuart, I know where you're coming from because I saw that in the trailer and I even talked to you guys like during a pregame on a show. I'm like, I can't believe they're going with the wings. They showed the wings. I do come to accept the wings because I they double down and like there's going to be close up crash zooms out of those wings as he's flying around. I'm like, okay, they like they're owning it. Like, yeah, they could have ignored it, but they're like, we're going to own this. We're going to show these wings off as he's like drifting in the air. So I come around to accept it because they're like, we're not going to be embarrassed about it. So good for them. I'm fine with it. I don't love it. I don't hate it. I like this actor's performance. Yeah. What? And so because of that, I like Namor, but the visual effects and the outfit aren't doing him any favors. He's no Killmonger, do not get me wrong. Having watched these two back to back, this movie leans more towards Marvel's usual villain problem than the first one did. Yes. But I do think he's giving a strong performance and I do sort of understand his point of view. I get what he wants and his motivation feels real. I don't feel like this is the Marvel villain problem. I do feel this is much more in line with Killmonger as one of the better villains. Like, I understand his motivations. He's got a point of view where, you know, people, Arnie, you've said it with Thanos. Like, I understand why he wants to get rid of half of everything. Like, we need to do that. <laughs> it's necessary to continue living. Like, I understand Namor's point of view here. Like, he's much more fleshed out than most of the Marvel villains we got. I really like his inclusion here. I hate him. I hate this performance so much. I can't tell you. You want to burn things, throw Tinot Huerta into that. He's terrible. You really think that he's dramatically good in this part? He feels like he's walking through it or flapping through it. He's got no present, no menace, nothing. His delivery is spot on. I feel like he is a strong warrior. I buy everything he's stating. When he says, we have as many warriors as you have blades of grass, I take that as a real huge threat to Wakanda. And this guy, he sells that line to me. I really don't know Tenok Huerta Mejia. We've seen him. Yeah, we saw him in the Forever Purge. Okay, I don't recall which character he played in that, but I do really like him here. If you're going to go with Namor as be his name coming from the Spanish language and he is Hispanic, I think you could have done far worse with casting than him. I don't feel any intimidation from him. Just physically, he looks goofy with the wings and he just doesn't look all that fit or menacing. I don't think he has any fight scenes either because I don't think he can do it. He fights Shuri at the end. Yeah. Yes, they try to do something there. She cuts off his little wing or something, but not a good fight and not a good presence. I think, again, they call him a winged serpent at some point. I'm thinking, oh, lean into the snake, right? Let's do something phallic. Let's have him be sexy. Let's have him be seductive. Did you see those green trunks? Like, I understand why Sue Storm's always getting pulled away by him. <laughs> no, no. This guy is not hot. He is not threatening. He is not believable as the leader of this group. And it's a real problem for me. I can hear you. It is. Yeah. Here's the thing is I hear you guys. We were so on the same page a few minutes ago. And now we have hit the wall. Because what you guys are saying is so great is what I need to be great. I wish I could feel what you guys are feeling. It is a mortal wound to this movie that that's the guy. I take it you also, based upon your laughter at the top of this, don't like his nickname of Ku Kool Khan? <laughs> I mean, everything about it. Everything about him is undercutting. You're right. He is the new Killmonger. He is the villain that we are to understand their rage and actually secretly agree with him. That should be how it plays. 
But instead, he's this foolish-looking man that flaps out of the lake and says, bring me a scientist in a week or I'm going to be real pissed. He's always coming in and saying, I'll give you a week. I mean, there's <laughs> he's never threatening. I just find this guy so lame. Okay, uh, yeah, it's just a difference of opinion because I think he is threatening. I like the situation that it's setting up. Again, geopolitical thriller. Wakanda, you got to help us or we'll destroy you. And there's outside nations that would want to destroy them both because of their resources. I love this setup. I love the conception the setup is great that and it has been wounded severely in, in this exact moment do you like chicken wings you, you are <laughs> wings are ruining this film from you don't give this man <laughs> buffalo wings ruin I was his okay dinner. with hawkman <laughs> in black adam i that was not a problem at all a hawkman can stay but this guy got to go <laughs> you like big wings that's what it is <laughs> There are more problems. Shall we get into them? Because the scientist that he is asking for them to get is also, I think, not a helpful presence in this movie. Again, too many characters in this film, and this is the most awkwardly inserted character since Black Widow and Iron Man 2. This is all about, hey, she's getting her own Disney Plus series, mm -hmm. and Black Panther's a huge movie, so we're going to put her here so you feel like you want to watch her in that TV series, but, man, she is... From the trailers, where they show her mech suit and things, I thought she would be a major character in this. She is cameo MacGuffin at best. MacGuffin. My biggest complaint, Stuart, is not Namor, it is Riri. Like, and it's because they don't really do anything with this character. I'd be curious to hear people's reaction that don't know Ironheart. That's, I guess, you, Stuart. But, like, mm -hmm. would kids mourning the death of Tony Stark, would they be excited about, oh, Iron Man is back? Is that how they would see her? She doesn't make a strong case for that in this film. I'll just put it that way. Yeah, what we are told. So let's just kind of walk through it. They First of all, they go back. Everyone regroups. We have that cool guy with the piercing in the lip that's like big as a plate and all the elders are talking about what we should do. And Wakanda, because they don't have a Black Panther, are like, yeah, let's just go get this person knowing they're essentially executing. Whoever the scientist is, we're offering them up to be killed because their knowledge makes them dangerous. They know how to find vibranium. And as long as they can do that, then this underwater world can be discovered forcing a war. If the vibranium can't be found at the bottom of the ocean, then there's a chance for peace and anonymity. And M'Baku was one of my favorite characters in the last film. I thought he brought levity. I really liked that he was a bit antagonistic to the other Wakandans. And here, now he's got a place on the council after joining up with them both to save T'Challa in the first film and then bringing his Jabari in Infinity War. And the way he comes in, just like eating that rhubarb or that carrot or whatever it is he's eating, and is like, kill the fish man, because if we give him what he wants now, what are we going to do when he asks for the next thing? It's a valid point. And again, if this is an ensemble movie, there's room to dramatize that. He should have his own subplot where he's trying to kill the fish man. They should do that. And unfortunately, it all becomes about Okoye trying to wake Shuri from her funk and bringing her to Boston to, you know, have this bonding moment or whatever, both with their favorite colonizer. <laughs> Martin Freeman is back. I almost forget about him, but that's sort of the point. He's the dispensable white guy. And again, too big a cast. Martin Freeman should not have come back. Whoever edited this film had the unenviable task of inserting Martin Freeman scenes in this movie. Mm -hmm. And 
almost every time one of them comes up, it feels like it's breaking the flow of actually the plot of this movie. Yes. I agree, but that's not... Martin Freeman's fault. I feel like it's because we're going to get introduced to his ex-wife and Julia Louise Dreyfus is a big thing, I guess, for the upcoming Marvel phase. And so, yeah, we're going to cut to, if you want humor in a film about death and mourning, like, yeah, M'Baku's going to get some and then Ross and Julia Louise Dreyfus, director Dave Fontaine's going to get it. Yeah, which racially that feels like uh, the correct flip. Like typically black characters are inserted in white movies to bring levity. It feels correct that now we have the token funny white guy that really doesn't have a point here other than, yeah, just brighten the mood and to tell them that who they're looking for is not some, you know, CIA genius, but a 19-year-old MIT student who is going on TikTok flying around in an Iron Man suit. Or you call it Iron Heart? I didn't hear that in this movie. Yeah, did she see the little heart she welds out at the end? Oh, no, I missed that. And her arc reactor is kind of heart-shaped yeah. okay. in this early suit. Okay. Couldn't pick up on any of that. Riri Williams, newer character, introduced to the Marvel comics in 2016 when they were doing a lot of this. Like, our old characters, like Tony Stark's going to go into a coma or something and create an AI of himself that's going to help Ironheart. We're going to bring in females. We're going to bring in more diverse characters. This was a big push around this time in the Marvel comics. Not as new characters. She was going to be the new Iron Man for a while. And then she replaced him for a bit when the real Iron Man came back. Yeah, she got the name Iron Art. Well, it's interesting you bring up Iron Man because uh, what I'm curious about is I think, am I wrong? Okoye is on board to do the duty. She is going there to get this scientist and offer it up to be killed for the sake of Wakanda. That was the agreed upon plan. And then when they see, they make a different decision. Why? Even the queen says that because when they call Ramonda from campus, they say, we found the scientist, it's at MIT, and the queen says, please tell me it's a professor. Nobody's on board with killing a kid. But I think they would have been okay if it was like some 40-year-old white dude. If it was Tony Stark. If it was Iron Man, would they have been like, yep, one person is worth this piece? I don't think it's that. I think Shuri sees herself in Riri. You know, they're both younger women. They're both into science, the love for technology. If Shuri gives up Riri, it's as good as giving up herself because they're the same character. So I think that's what turns her and changes her mind is like, oh, this is someone that has the same values as me. I can't give this up. I'll try to hold on to that, but I almost feel like Shuri is self-destructive. Like, she doesn't want to live. Like, I find myself really having a hard time, and part of it is the grief process, but really a hard time connecting with her. Because she was the light and fun character, her irreverence and her non-traditional qualities were an asset in Black Panther. And now she's the pill that everyone is trying to say, you're good enough. You can be Black Panther. And she's like, nah. It's funny because, yeah, she was maybe too light for me in that first Black Panther. Not my favorite character. Like, she seemed to, like, be making a lot of jokes about shoes and all that. I love Letitia Wright's performance here. Yeah, it's more dark. It's more brooding. She's going through something. And that makes me care about this character a lot more than I did in the first one. Mm, Interesting. Okay, now I've hit a wall with you guys because... Not me. Stewart's hit the wall. I'm still going. (laughs) I think Letitia Wright is fine, but I don't think she has the range of an actress to pull this off perfectly. 
she pales compared to some of the amazing actors and actresses around her, especially Angela Bassett. Well, come on. I mean, you just stand in that shadow. If you're supposed to be selling me on this emotional journey, the entire film is Shuri's emotional journey, and that's a lot to put on Letitia Wright. Mm -hmm. I just don't think she's there as an actress. I don't think, at present, she has the range to do this, and- the fact that you've turned to Letitia Wright and said this whole franchise is yours now hurts this movie bad. I'm not going to disagree with you. And it's a stunner because I would have, going into the film, been jumping up and down uh, about the fact that the character from the first movie would be in the suit. That's what I wanted. But I don't know that it's she doesn't have the range. I actually just going to throw it out there. I heard a little bit about this production. Maybe she, the actress herself did not want to be there. There was some kind of rumor that she wouldn't get vaccinated and there were fights on the set and her walking off and what have you. It quite possibly may be she did not literally want to be standing there in front of the cameras. But I feel that, Arnie. I agree with you. I feel a resistance that never changes. And in fact, it's weird when the movie, she finally decides, okay, I'm going to play Panther. I don't feel like it's earned. I feel like you're right. Riri is supposed to be the child in her that inspires her to build again, to care again, to commit to Wakanda. But I feel like Letitia Wright is letting this movie down. Okay, I, I guess I'm the only one still going then. I have not hit that wall. I like her performance. I agree, like, in the next Black Panther, once she's resolved all this anger and vengeance and grieving, like, how is she going to play that character? She's going to have to do it a new way. But for what she's asked to do in this one, I'm with her. And then I hit another wall. Do you run through the first one like the Kool-Aid man? <laughs> The Hulk might be a better metaphor for a Marvel <laughs> movie, but okay. But you said, Stuart, this film's light on action, and you're right, and somebody decided, okay, we've hit, like, the one-hour mark, we really need an action scene, so for reasons, let's start having a princess of Wakanda chased by Popo and the FBI. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, it's like how they got chased in the first one. Yeah, but that one had a point. They were chasing after Claw. That was a plot-driven action scene. This feels obligatory and useless. It's a Marvel film. If you're going to get surrounded by the FBI, it's going to turn into an action scene. Again, I don't have a problem with that. The fact that, yeah, we're going to see a glimpse of that Ironheart outfit. We're going to get this cool car and motorcycle chase. Here's the thing that gets me into this, and, and it, similar as with the first Black Panther, is the soundtrack and the score. Like, it's great here. Like, they know how to drop a beat at the right moment during action scenes. <laughs> and so maybe you're getting tired from all this because... Yeah, it's not the most motivated, but again, as just a visual feast, like the music gets me back into this chase. Like, yeah, I, I want a chase scene. This is a great way to do it. I'm not saying it's bad action. I'm just saying, especially the second time I watched this, I realized how unmotivated all of this was and it bothered me. Yeah, I agree. All they really need to do is bring her to the seashore and have the lasso come out and, and their problem solved, right? Peace is formed. But somehow, I think they've agreed that they're not only running from the CIA, they're running from their obligation to the underwater people. They're my favorite part. When we see them come out of the water, I love, I think her name's Namora, the one with the headdress and all of that, and they got like the breathing apparatus full of water and what have you. These designs are super intimidating. I love yeah, they're riding those whales, 
that are breaching up above the bridges so they could jump off onto it. Like, yeah, all that's Aquaman with the drum playing octopus. Like, I, that's what I want with these sea people riding whales. Like, they're hitting all those notes. And you're right, Stuart. It looks great. This should win again for costumes and designs. Like, they're amazing looking. You like Namora. I like Atuma. I think that guy is a badass. Is that the one with like a hammerhead shark headdress? He's like the general of the Tolokan. He gets in the fight with Okoye, which is progressive. Like, normally you think, oh, there's a girl. It'll be girl versus girl. We're uncomfortable watching men beat on women. But no, Okoye's like, no, I can go against the big guy with the axe. Yeah, he's scary too. Again, the warriors are so intimidating that it's such a lame thing that Namor is their leader because they're so cool. But what I see on the scene in the bridge is Okoye is giving it her all and losing. And I don't see Shuri fighting to protect this girl. I really don't, literally, I don't see it. I feel like the action is happening. They've been like knocked out. But that's what I mean. It's like, this should be Shuri realizing she needs to fight. And instead, she's just kind of like, oh, let's go with them. And how else would this have ended, though, if you don't give up? I think you have to show that danger. Like, they would just straight up kill them all. Like, she's trying to do something to keep Riri alive and themselves alive. I didn't read it that way. I guess that's the problem is I just felt like she was being very passive and and going with the flow. See, I took this as we're starting to show Shuri learn diplomacy yes. and be a princess and reach out and try to find peaceful solutions like her mother. I saw this as the first step, and ultimately that's going to be the climax of the film, is Shuri ascending to be a good ruler of the nation. Now, I don't know at the end of the movie if she is ruler mm, of the nation. Yeah, I'm not loving her Black Panther, but okay. But she here is finding a way to negotiate because those Talakan were there to kill Riri on that bridge. Right. And Shuri is able to buy Riri a little bit more time by saying, take me to your leader. Right. And so we have them go down to the world. This is where we get what you guys are saying. This is where Namor is going to make his case that I'm sympathetic. And again, I would argue, maybe it's even supposed to be here. I ask you guys, do you pick up on this at all? Is Shuri kind of turned on by him? He'll give her some jewelry and say it's from my mother. And again, I think about Serpent and all that. I'm like, he's kind of putting the moves on her. But this actress ain't like looking charmed and he don't have many moves. So it just, it doesn't ignite. I did read it that way because that's kind of his thing. Again, I said with Sue Storm in the comics, like he's always wooing women. So it does feel like, yeah, he's trying to impress her. Let me take you down to my city and show you how beautiful it is. And almost like, can I get her to side with me if she falls in love with me or, or has some attraction? Mm-hmm. Hearing you say this, Stuart, makes perfect sense that that's what they sh- may have been trying to play. But through the performances, I didn't even think that. Not one iota. Right. I saw this as international diplomacy. The princess of one country meeting with the leader of another and trying to figure out where the common ground is. And you're right. He gives her a dress. And I do love Riri. She is the comic relief here. She's like, that's some super villain shit. <laughs> that white <laughs> chick in Indiana Jones, Princess Leia. Belle from Beauty <laughs> and the Beast. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that's what she was getting at. But yeah, okay. So you're confirming uh, a weird line that she threw out there that, yes, that she sees seduction here 
And we don't as an audience. We're not picking up on that vibe, even though the music's kind of sexy. I did. I just want to call out, I am picking that up. It's working for me. Yeah, the music's sexy. And again, they do this whole ride through my, come to my crib. And, you know, like I sit under in this shark teeth and all of that stuff. He's got a style. God knows he's got cool people, cool outfits and all of that. But I do not get from him what I need. And I'm not getting from her that she's falling for it. Am I wrong? But watching this twice... The Talacan, when underwater, aren't blue. They're blue on the surface, but Mm -hmm. they look all skin-colored down there. Like, you see some children, and they aren't blue children. Right. I think, you know, that spectrum of light gets filtered out underwater or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It made sense to me. Like, No, I think that's the point. I think that's the idea is that what looks monstrous and zombie-like on the surface, here, they're just a society like any other and they have kids and they seem normal. And this is where we get the backstory. We return to uh, his mother and how he got to be this way. It is, what, 1571? We were here before. It's worth pointing out. I've almost forgotten about Eternals, but the Eternals were kind of at this conflict. I have not been the one that recommended the Eternals because... Yeah, the scene that you're referencing is like one of the more powerful ones that really stood out to me in which they leaned into that more. And I did think like, yeah, are the Eternals on the other side of this forest as the colonizers are burning the place down? Like they're just out of sight. Right. Yeah, it felt like if they had had a bigger hit with that movie, they might have made a more direct, you know, like we might have seen Angelina Jolie for a sec or something. Remember, those end credits threatened the Eternals will return. <laughs> Are they so sure? I'm not. But at any rate, so what we see is a woman covered in smallpox burying her dad. It seems like the implication is that disease and the conquistadors have largely wiped them out. They pray to a god. They drink a flower that is... The heart-shaped herb? Or it's, yeah, related to it somehow. Maybe not the exact same thing, but it gives them some kind of powers. It's iffy because the shaman dives underwater and finds a plant that glows like the heart-shaped herb, but it's not heart-shaped. It's leafy. Mm -hmm. And so I guess if you go to underwater in Central America, you'll find some vibranium too, because they're going to say that this plant grew out of vibranium. Mm. And so they don't even need to go near Wakanda. They just need to go into Central America and start searching underwater there for this rare metal that becomes less rare the more places it shows up on the planet. Yeah, look for glowing plants then. I'm going to go on that diet. Like, I only eat glowing (laughs) things. (laughs) See how that does me. Apparently, I'll live for Ever because these people die, they turn blue. And so, yes, they've created a society underwater that's the only place that they can be. And it just so happens. I think I heard that there may have been another comment. Like, there's no clear indication about how they got this vibranium, right? Yeah, multiple comments with vibranium may have hit one landed in the ocean. The, the earth is mostly ocean, so that makes sense. Yeah, there's not enough to really explain. It's not like they are Wakandans, right? They don't come from the same tribes. This is a separate entity. Yeah, they're a different nation. These ones, they say, are from Mexico, I believe. Like, these are the equivalent of Latino Wakandans, I guess. Like, they have a very similar story. We have a very precious natural resources. But whereas the Wakandans were never colonized, these people definitely were. And that is Namor's, I guess, motivation is he doesn't want that to happen again. Well, they were never colonized, but yeah, the, the surface world was. Yeah, they imply it's European disease that wiped them out. I felt like that was the implication. 
It is, it is. And but and when they go back to the surface, when the mom dies, they made the promise, we're going to bury you in your home soil. So they do trek, uh, you know, that's where they invent the water mask or yeah. whatever, and they do trek inland. It's worth pointing out that these conquistadors, you know, they have guns and we have this battle here where Namor takes them out. They avoid colonization because they will be underwater where the Spanish don't know they are. But it is the Spanish. This is the same culture that sent Columbus, that founded America, you know, like that's it's the same lineage of colonialization and oppression happening back here. I think that's an interesting way to frame what could be a way to unify these two cultures. It could be that Wakanda and the Talakans could see they have this common enemy, and it is America slash the colonizers. I think Shuri needs to go with him. I think in order for this movie to work and this idea to really seed, she has to fall in love with him and agree to be there. And her mom's efforts to rescue her, she rejects. I feel like that's what should have happened in this movie. And it's a huge mistake that instead they just send Nakia to go grab her and she's out of this conflict. Yeah, that is a surprise. We'll see... Nakia show up and just shoot some of the Talakan. They're like, oh, this is going to start a war. Yeah, that does feel a bit forced to not have Shuri have to make these big decisions. It's her movie. I agree. She should be doing things. And she's just being so passive. She's not falling in love. She's not saying anything. She's she's even more of a blank than Chadwick was in the first movie. And the supporting actors aren't able to make up the difference the way that they were in the first movie. That's the problem. And meanwhile, we're getting even more of the Defontaine and Ross stuff that... I mean, I think we need this if you are going to say the big bad is America, because we've got the FBI saying the president Mm -hmm. wants to destabilize Wakanda because of everything that's going on. Yeah, and again, this is not new tactics to anyone that's lived over the last few years. Like, Russian disinformation, like all this kind of stuff that we accused other countries of doing. Yeah, we do that too. You disrupt, you, you send out misinformation to agitate people. I want to be clear. That's not being woke. That's just being educated. Yes. That is the history of America. That is not some agenda. That's the truth. That is factual. You brought up Julia Louis-Dreyfus. And just to look at her character briefly, because they've put her in here. All right. This is, what, the third time we've seen her? The first was in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where she recruited a U.S. agent. And now that we know she's a director of the CIA... I get why she'd recruit a U.S. agent, because she deals with CIA agents, so that makes sense. But what's completely out of character for a CIA agent is why she'd want to send Yelena Belova to assassinate an Avenger Hawkeye. I still don't get that. But I guess we're going to see her as head of the Thunderbolts with Yelena in a movie in two years, something like that. They need to work harder to make me want to see that. I mean, a lot harder. (laughs) Uh, right now, she's kind of silly comic relief that I don't mind for a couple of scenes, but she's no movie. And what she's been doing feels like uh, incomplete thought that I don't ever have. Yeah, she, she's not going to be the focus. She is like evil Nick Fury putting together her Avengers. She'll be behind the scenes. And then Everett Ross is just committing straight up treason. Yes. He's like <laughs> calling Wakanda on these beads and like, hey, here's absolutely everything we're talking about behind closed doors. Which, by the way, is nothing because they think it's the Wakandans. I mean, the CIA is so not following this. They don't even know about the Talakans. I think that this is stuff that's seeding Black Panther 3, maybe, where it will be international war. And this will make more sense in that long run. But man, every time we go to them, I'm just... 
it's frustrating because it's breaking up the flow. It's just something to fill the time while Shuri is taken back to Wakanda. I would argue it's necessary and included. The editor didn't chop it or reduce it because Shuri isn't dramatic enough to be the centerpiece. She's not filling the frame. And I would say this stuff is in there because this is a Marvel Cinematic Universe in a film that, and I'm interested in your take, Arnie, I don't know how Marvel Cinematic Universe this feels. To me, I'm really enjoying this as kind of just a weird sci-fi political thriller. Yeah, we'll have a guy with wings on his feet. I don't know. He's a mutant. Like, they ate a weird plant. They gave him powers from outer space. Like, it does feel because it's more about a place and more about nations than superheroes or characters. I don't know. I wonder if that's something the big hardcore Marvel fans feel like. Does this feel Marvel enough for them? It feels Marvel enough for me. I mean, we do have Wakanda, which was firmly established not only in Black Panther, but in Infinity War. And I think Marvel Phase 2 had a real problem of convincing me why superheroes didn't show up for certain things. But since then, they've made reasons that work for why these are personal conflicts, why Ant-Man and Hulk wouldn't show up in Wakanda to help with this stuff. Namor really wants his existence kept secret, and that's the one thing that Queen Ramonda holds over him, is if you don't do what we say, we'll tell the world that you exist. And he's like, if you tell the world I exist, I will kill Shuri, I will kill you. That's his biggest thing. So they're able to keep secret, and that's why Anderson Cooper is somewhat useful in this movie, <laughs> is because he lets us see the world's view where everything is just Wakanda and nobody knows that this is even going on. Okay, but we're at the 90-minute mark. They made it home, and everything seems to be fine, but we know that they left dead Talakan people behind, and there's going to be payback for that. We're ready for something big to happen. 90 minutes of a slow boil, we're ready for an eruption. I'm ready for that war to happen now. And we start to get it. They get the water tanks. Like, all of a sudden, the marketplace is filling with water, and the the attacks are happening. I'm like, oh, it's going down. I'm getting excited. And then, like, it's over and Ramonda is dead. And, like, there's Namor being like, I'll give you another week. I'm like, what? No, I need this to be climactic. I don't know. Ultimately, he wants an alliance. So if he just destroys them all now, that doesn't help them meet his end goal. His end goal is to team up. So yes, let me show you my strength and intimidate you and scare you into getting my way. And I frankly was shocked when the queen died. Like I didn't expect to get more death in this film. And I was surprised by that. I wasn't happy about it either. I liked this action scene. I liked that we see M'Baku try to be a hero when the streets flood. He goes down there and rescues some innocents. He gets punched hard. <laughs> oh, I thought they'd kill him. I really yes. thought that punch <laughs> mm -hmm. in slow-mo going at him so powerfully. I'm like, don't kill him, Baku. I like him, Baku. <laughs> but I'm with you, Jacob. I thought Chadwick Boseman is dead. You're not going to kill anybody else. And when Ramonda dies saving Riri, a character who I have not come to like, mm -mm. whereas I love Angela Bassett. <laughs> right. I mean, that scene where she strips Okoye of her rank and screams, my entire family is gone. Have I not given everything? That is such a powerful scene. Angela Bassett commands the screen and she gives her life 
for a Disney Plus series. <laughs> it just does not work. I'm mad about it. I'll just be mad. And the people behind me, I mentioned they were vocal and, you know, they were laughing and you know, whatever. They were, But like when this comes on, they're just like, oh, no, they killed her, too. Like they literally were like, I don't want to go here. Like, this is wrong. This is a wrong decision to do this. Why is it wrong? Because, look, Yondu, number one death in the MCU. The queen here? Like, look, I ain't no fan of the monarchy in England, but, like, this death hit me because we see her saving Riri. I'm like, all right, she's going to be all right. And it really hit me. Maybe because the actors around her, they're emoting their sorrow. I did not expect to realize, like, how much grieving and raw emotions I had to process until I saw this film. And seeing these characters go through things, I'm like, there's a lot here i don't know i got really caught up in the emotion of this film i think what frustrates i equate it to when i see it in other movies i've criticized this a lot when they kill the hero's wife and kids so they can fall to their knees and scream to heaven no and then put on the suit it seems like they're doing everything in the world to try and motivate this driftless shuri to be black panther there's a lot of father and son stuff with T'Challa and now they're doing mother-daughter stuff here. I don't have a problem with it. T'Challa, like, yeah, it, it was a different relationship with his father, but it was still trying to reconcile that and really come into that role as the Black Panther. It's never good when you make me think of Thor the Dark World. And remember they killed Thor's mother in Thor the Dark World? That's all I was thinking about. Yeah, but that wasn't emotional like this is. <laughs> but it's true. Again, like, it's a cheap tactic to kill somebody you care about to try and keep motivating a character that is a wet blanket that has been not growing and changing. If this is about the grief process, I need to see Shuri at a different place than she was an hour ago. And again, it would be really helpful if she was thinking about aligning with Namor and now can't do it because he killed her mother or something. Like if I was seeing the struggle in the performance... I'd be okay with the move. It would hurt me, but I'd be okay with this move. Instead, it just feels like they're doing everything in the sun to motivate this diva who will not be the centerpiece of the goddamn movie she was hired to be. That's what it feels like. I like that you have a struggle. You have a character that doesn't want to be that. She has her own interest. She's the scientist. She is not a superhero. And so for her to have to come into this role, like I would be hesitant too to take over a nation and, and to be this superhero role model to everyone. Like that is a lot to take on as you're grieving the death of your dad and your brother and now your mom. I used to love Shuri and I don't like her anymore. And I didn't like her and now I do. <laughs> And I'm with Stuart on this. She was a great supporting character. In Infinity War, in Black Panther 1, she was good. She could bring a little bit of an intensity to her tech stuff. She's being asked to go beyond her reach, beyond what the character was designed to do. And yeah, Namor says, you are queen to Shuri. But we're going to find out the Wakandans are like, we need to elect a leader. Or <laughs> we need to pick a leader, at least. They're not a democracy. But... It's not necessarily Shuri. Nobody's in charge. And now Shuri is just going to do what Shuri does and retreat to her lab and start building tech and redesigning the heart-shaped herb. And this is where there's one shot that pisses me off, and it shouldn't piss me off, but it does. When Riri is building her armor, she starts hammering metal. She's doing the welding thing like Tony Stark in the cave at the beginning of Iron Man. Yes, and first of all, we're in a world where they could just 3D print this armor for her. You 3D print everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 
but they want us to think that this is the new Tony Stark, and so you're gonna give us that shot of her hammering some armor? I'm like, no, this is not working. This is Tony Stank. Yeah. I want to like Ironheart. I just, this film doesn't make me like her. Like, I don't dislike her, but I just don't care about her. She's about as important as the little kid in Iron Man 3. Like, Ooh. I feel like she's this Urkelish, like, sidekick <laughs> that I don't want to be there the problem is Shuri. I, again, wh- how did she fix the heart problem? You would think that learning the other culture and seeing their plant, she brought that back with her. But I don't think she did. Did they do that? Yes. That's exactly yeah. what happened. Okay, I didn't I didn't pick that up. The bracelet had the plant. Okay, all right. Namor said that that bracelet was made from the plant that gave them the ability to breathe underwater. And so... Okay. That went by really fast, but that would have been helpful to underline that because I think, again, if she had the respect of this other culture to see that they had something to offer Wakanda and that being isolationist was not good, that this community would not survive if it did not adopt other cultures, I think is what the leader they need right now. But again, that detail would have been helpful to really... So maybe it was there. I had one viewing, but this is a dense film. Yeah. I totally missed it. And I'm totally just not understanding that all of a sudden they got the purple juice again. She's ready to drink it. And then more confusion. It's not her mom on the ancestral plane. It's Killmonger. I like this development. I mean, I'll give the screenwriter a little bit more credit than I'll give Letitia right here. I like that they dropped the line. She didn't think there was an ancestral plane. She went full atheist. She thought she would drink the heart-shaped herb and then have the strength to kill Namor. Mm-hmm. That's what she wanted. Okay. And there is an ancestral plane. We knew this from seeing both Killmonger and T'Challa take this. And so she's taken to the ancestral plane, but you don't get to pick who you see. She didn't think she was going to see her mom. She lies to Killmonger and says, I took this herb to see my family. And Killmonger's like, nah, you took this because you wanted power like I do. Are you going to be compassionate like your brother? Or are you going to get the job done like me? And thank God they brought back Michael B. Jordan. Best part of the first movie. Heard a rumor he might be in this one. I was hoping so. And he is a spark of life in this second half of the movie. 100% there with you, Arnie. I love that Michael B. Jordan came back as Killmonger, one of my favorite characters in the MCU that didn't get to last very long, sadly. Like, he should have lived so we could have got more of him. What I like with this whole, yeah, we talked about Black Adam recently, where it's like, superheroes don't kill. Well, I do. It feels like a very superficial conversation about processing strength and all that. Here, like, this isn't super smart, but I do feel like it's more mature. It's a a more realistic look at, like, yeah, how are you going to deal with your power, either as a nation, as an individual that's maybe really strong because you drank a plant? How are you going to deal with that? Do you let those feelings consume you? And I feel like, yeah, this is what a lot of people are processing these days. Like, we have a lot of anger around the world, and what do we do with that? Again, this isn't groundbreaking stuff, but I feel like it's being dealt with in a more mature manner than some other superhero films have dealt with it. I love Killmonger, but I don't love this scene. I don't, it was just awkward. I didn't know what was happening. I, got, I felt like I was losing my bearings on what was even going on. I couldn't tell what the characters wanted. I couldn't follow. some of. Now that you're repeating some of what he says, I'm now getting it. But on one viewing, it just felt like, oh, we got to bring everyone back, and here's a 
thankless cameo that makes you wish it were the villain again. You know, you, you wish that this Namor had what he had. Or you wish that Letitia Wright had some of Michael B. Jordan's fire when she comes back and all of a sudden is like, yeah, I'm putting on the suit and I want to kill. Like, I don't see it. I don't know how we got there. I'm not feeling it at all. But it just feels very clumsily. We've decided that it's been two hours. We need to have Black Panther. And once the Black Panther comes back, Jacob, you mentioned the score, but the score takes a left turn with this new Black Panther. It's reminding me of what Daft Punk did for Tron Legacy. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) It's this big electronica. It kind of made me think of Tangerine Dream. I mean, I love what happens to this score once Black Panther's back in it. It is really very different because most of the score fits this film, but there's a lot of percussion, there's a lot of horns, not like brass horns, but, you know, trying to keep with the feel of Wakanda, and now that this is the technological Black Panther, we're going electronic, and I really groove to it. It's massive, but it also feels threatening. Like, it's not a cheer moment when they've regrouped in the mountains, because their, you know, capital got washed away, and M'Baku is kind of doing his thing, and she drops down there. I couldn't tell, but it didn't feel like it was designed to be a cheer moment that, hey, there's Black Panther. It's more like we should be afraid that this is a woman whose ferocity is now going to be, like, she tells him, we're going to do what I want, even if it's not smart, I'm going to attack Namor and have an eternal war. The fact that M'Baku goes along with it is what makes me a little bit confused because M'Baku realizes they don't call him king, they call him god. If you kill their god, this could be eternal war. And that makes sense. I mean, there's no war as bad as a religious war. So the fact that he agrees to go along with it anyway, again, is she the queen? He kind of arm wrestles her and she wins. Does that mean he's just going to do what she says? <laughs> I felt like he made a play even to marry her. I couldn't tell, but they, when they had the funeral for her mother, he did ask for her hand, right? Like, that's what he was saying? No. He said T'Challa approached him and asked to be Shuri's protector and her counsel. And that, again, means M'Baku knew that T'Challa was sick before most people knew, but there's no wedding proposal. I read that as, I'm asking for your hand. Let us let me be king if you are queen. That's not at all how I read that scene. Okay. I wasn't sure. Because, I mean, at the end, he's going to be screaming, it's my throne still. So I think that power is very much in his mind. That going along with her in some ways is a, a calculation. It would be nice if this was a romantic triangle. It would be nice if that was really shown and underlined in the script and Shuri had to choose the M'Baku path or the Namor path, but... Mm -hmm. Don't you feel like it's there and then for whatever reason? I don't want this political thriller to turn into a rom-com. No, no, we don't want rom-com, but it is helpful to see alliances that are often dramatized as romances. I mean, I think you can do that. Like, which one will she be seduced by? Which one is she going to go with? Uh, The fight for the throne, again, intrigue. Where is it? I feel like it's just all of a sudden happening without a whole lot of gamesmanship. It's just, all right, time for a climax. We'll throw the vibranium detector in the ocean again, tell Namor it's a new one, and then throw him in a hot box. It is a new one. Oh, no, they had the old one, didn't they? Yeah. yeah Namor gave it to them. Mm-hmm. No, Namor brought the one that he destroyed to them, and Shuri just fixed it up. Or re-refixed it up. It's her machine. Yeah. 
And so th- now the whole plan is to, quote, dry his ass out, which I just think is so stupid. But like the whole point is we have to put him in a sauna and then he'll be defeated. I remember every episode of Spider-Man and his amazing friends had Iceman getting warm and Firestar <laughs> getting wet. Mm-hmm. And that's all I could think of is this whole plan is for Iceman to get warm because water is the power for Namor. And if you can dry him out, then he has no superpowers. Yeah, they make a special evaporator machine because he not only breathes oxygen, he also absorbs it through his skin. So you got to cut off all sources. And they have mech suits galore. Riri Williams now is in a full-on Iron Man suit. I can only assume made of vibranium. I mean, I... And then we're also introduced... Okoye had gotten fired. She's no longer a general. She's no longer part of the Dora Milaje. But she's going to be the Midnight Angel. Jacob? Yeah, not just the Midnight Angel, but there's a few of them. And I do agree with the Koye, like, awful design. I hate this design. It is pretty much straight from the comic. But the Midnight Angel, so get this. Like, one time, Dr. Doom, he, like, took all the vibranium. And so Wakanda's got to go get it back. And they couldn't use vibranium stuff because then Dr. Doom could use that against them somehow. So they make these new suits, the Midnight Angels, who are then led by Deadpool... (laughs) To go get vibranium back from Dr. Doom. But yeah, this is from the comic. To me, it just feels like more Iron Mans. Like we have Iron Heart and now we have these mech suits. To me, this is the stuff that makes it feel like a Marvel film. And I just, I don't like it. It it feels clumsy inserted into the story. They look like Kit Fisto from Attack of the Clones. (laughs) And they just fly around. And I'm not impressed with the Midnight Angels. Again, I thought the fact that they were blue was in some ways alluding to the fact that Shuri's inspiration came from the blue people. And again, that maybe she completed the suit by after seeing their culture. It needed to have an influence on her. We just needed to know what it meant to go down to that world and learn about another culture when her own culture wasn't serving her well. But again, all of that has just been thrown out. There's this whole fight on a boat and people are climbing up the side and kicking and all of that stuff. In theory, good action. I'm not invested because it's basically about drying out a fish. Like the plot is we're driving this guy to the desert. And you want to talk about mech suits. There was one little thing I liked here that in her Black Panther suit, Shuri kept those hand gauntlet blasters she had from the last film. Yeah. She starts shooting at people with what those sonic waves or whatever. Now, those mm-hmm. are going to get damaged before her fight with Namor so that it has to be hand-to-hand combat. But that was kind of a nice little thing. Her Black Panther doesn't have that inertia explosion thing. Instead, she's got weapons that shoot out of her hands. Yeah, she's got yellow accent, not purple accents to her Black Panther costume. But Riri gets one good hit in. She shoots Namor into the hairdryer strip. (laughs) He's going to start drying out while Shuri yells at him. But his vibranium spear is going to crash the ship. But they just make it to the desert. So he's going to dry out more. They're a few meters from the ocean. I don't know how arid it is. <laughs> yeah, it's the beach. Let's call it. It's yeah. not a, a desert by the water is a beach. There's not a desert. <laughs> 
here's my question. So we're going to get this fight and look, it, it looks better in my opinion than what we got with Killmonger and Black Panther in that last one. I felt like they really had to pay attention to the CGI here, but we get this fight. What I don't understand, Arnie, you saw it twice. Maybe you know what happened, but Shuri has a bomb that she plant. Does she blow something up? Where does this explosion come from? The engines. It's the engines of her crash ship. But did she shoot them? Did she put a time bomb on them so they blow up? She crosses her chest and says Wakanda forever. Yes. And in the last <laughs> film, that did something to shoot off an EMP. If you remember, Everett Ross had to cross yeah. his arms and then release them to do something. Okay. I don't know if that caused the engines to fire or not. It's ridiculous. What's also ridiculous is a heart-shaped herb can't save T'Challa from whatever disease it has. Shuri gets speared through- The guts, yes. And into a <laughs> rock. The spear goes in her front, out her back. She pulls herself off of it and is fine. She's not bleeding out. She is fine. She does a flip over <laughs> Namor. Yeah, I agree. It is crazy. But if you think about nanotechnology, that should be the future, right? Is we can all put on skin that will hold our internal organs, but they would still be damaged, right? There would be internal bleeding. Yeah. Yeah. They have her bleeding from her nose. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that says there's massive internal yeah, bleeding. Right. And yet she just pulls herself off of it. Right. Get the funeral procession ready. We got another one going down in Wakanda. Yeah. She's dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know why they made this choice. I know they want to make her look strong at the end, but it's really just a ridiculous thing that she is so overpowered at this point. Also, we get a line here that makes no sense unless you've read the comics. Imperious Rex. Imperious Rex. Yes. I'm thinking Jurassic World. I'm like, was that the mutant dinosaur? What are they talking about? That is Namor's like catchphrase. It, it, you know, the thing has its clobbering time. What? And he's got Imperious Rex. That's his catchphrase? Yes. You got Hulk Smash. I hate this guy. You cannot <laughs> like this guy. I'm Imperious Rex. Flutter, 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 flutter. Okay, get out of here. Get your ass back into the ocean. You chicken under the sea. Hate him. It does make no sense. Is it like Imperious Rex? She pulled herself off a spear. <laughs> Jesus. But then they do this weird thing. I was really going to get mad. Like Damar says, it could have been different. And they do this whole flashback thing. And I'm thinking Richard Donner spinning the world backwards. <laughs> like none of this really happened. We're, we're everything that just happened. We're going to reverse the tape one. And I was like, oh, God damn them. They're not really going to do that. What was the point of that? It took me my second viewing to get it. She's thinking of the time before the war. Remember how happy the children were in Talakan. Remember how happy the people were in Wakanda before Namor attacked. Think about what you're going to bring and what you're going to take away and how much of your pain you're going to inflict on the other people if you take this course of action. That's why it's rewinding is to remember before. I thought this was a really beautiful moment, a way to visualize what she's processing mentally, where it's all about vengeance. And then she's reflecting on her family, on her culture. How will her actions as queen, as the Black Panther affect all that? Is, is that worth saving, that peaceful Wakanda culture? I, to me, it was a very powerful moment. Okay. I can't say powerful. I can say, oh, flashbacks. Confusing and on the precipice of stupidity. 
To me, I understood what that flashback meant. It wasn't just a flashback. It meant something. And I, at least to me, and I caught that. And to add more confusion, she puts her foot on his neck, which in this day and age has connotations that are cultural and powerful about oppression and says, yield, help me process this. He basically says, yield, but his fingers are crossed. He'll go home and tell Nemoria that I didn't mean it and we're going to kill him when they're not looking. I couldn't figure out. What's, what's, what's he talking about? No, he knows that colonists are going to colonize. They're going to go after that vibranium eventually at some point in Wakanda, and they're going to have to turn to him. He's going to get his war with the surface world at some point. Okay. So he's not necessarily saying I'm going to get Shuri. No, I, I think ultimately he just wants to stop the surface world from colonizing his people. Let's face it, Shuri basically gave him everything he wanted except for a war with the surface world when she made that agreement. She's like, we'll protect you, we'll make sure you're kept a secret, you just don't go on the offensive, and we are going to take all the heat for the shit you've done. Mm. Everybody's going to blame Wakanda. And so what he's saying is, and I kind of like this as an ending, again, I kind of like Namor is the Black Panther's the most powerful person in the most powerful nation on the planet, but they have no allies. Everybody is against them because they're afraid of them because they have vibranium. Mm. And the outside world is going to come for Wakanda, and Wakanda's going to need help, and so Wakanda's going to turn to us. And so Namor is being a smart ruler because at that point Wakanda will be indebted to the Talakan for helping them. And that's the only thing I can see is like, World War Three, Black Panther, Wakanda Three. It's like that seems to be where they're going if they choose to pick up this thread. Okay, all right. Confusion about all of that and the implications of it—that helps. All right. So yes, it's more of resignation of we haven't squashed this. This is still coming, and it will be you know a future movie, maybe Secret Wars or whatever is in Phase Five will be the eruption of this kept piece. Dear God, will I be so disappointed if that's what Secret Wars is. <laughs> Come on, Artie. Stuart doesn't know what he's talking about. Just let him speculate. That title means nothing to him. No, it doesn't mean anything. What is it? No, I'll find out. But yeah, we get a, a wrap up here. It's not quick. It's about 20 minutes, but it's mostly drama. It's people processing. Okoye is going to go free a white guy in chains and find the irony of Ross being taken to prison. They hated each other throughout the movie, and now they're buds. Is she still on the outs with the Dora Milaje? Yeah, she's now, I think, because there's a new general and... She's part of the... It's the Midnight Angels now. It's their own group. Okay. So that she, there's no going back. She's now in the blue squad. I mean, I guess Shuri could reassign her, but... Right. Shuri likes that tech. Like, no, stay in the Iron Man suit. Okay. And then M'Baku, no one challenges him. So is he king? I was wondering about that. <laughs> I want to know what's going on here. Because they're having that big leadership ceremony that we saw twice in the first film. And the ship comes and they're saying, here is Princess Shuri. M'Baku comes out, Shuri won't be here today. I challenge for rule of Wakanda. I'm like, is Shuri just giving up the throne and being like, M'Baku, you do this. You were right. You're a better political leader than I am. You be king. I'll be Black Panther. That's what it seems to be saying. I agree. Again, I thought that there was even talk of, of an alliance there, like a, a officiated in marriage or something. I couldn't quite read it. But my sense is that she has no interest in ruling. And he obviously does. 
I would not be mad if M'Baku became king. I like M'Baku, but he didn't get a whole lot to do this film. Mm -mm. And Shuri goes to Haiti. I guess Nakia went back home to Haiti. And yeah, this is what the mom was going to do by the river if Namor hadn't flown out of there. This was the ritual that she had taken her daughter on safari to do. Ramonda had burned her robe, but had given Shuri a robe to burn as well. So this is Shuri finally burning that robe. Mm -hmm. And this is the one bad special effect that I was like, I feel like Letitia Wright might have a fire phobia or something, but that is not <laughs> fire. She throws it in there and then they very hastily try to make it burn. I feel like you'd never see real fire anymore in movies. <laughs> I agree. Why risk it? And that leads to a lackluster end credits. After the movie ends, there's always two stages to the end credits of Marvel. There's the highly graphical one where, like, Winter Soldier had all those shadows going on mm -hmm. and all of the icons and you... Yeah, the current Spider-Man trilogy has had the best at closing credits. Yeah, with the doodles and everything. Yeah. And here, you just get close-up of Burning Cloth. And I get it, again, honoring Chadwick. This is a somber funeral pyre. Like, it's not your typical celebration that you'd get in an MCU film. Not only that, but, you know, last time it was Kendrick Lamar and The Weeknd and all of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, it was an exciting song. SZA, you know, all the stars. Like, now, here we get Rihanna, which, again, is a big deal. This woman owned the charts for a decade. Like, she had music throughout the 2000s and then has, I think, it's been six years since she put out a piece of music. She's back with a new song that is depressing. <laughs> You're right. It's like burning cotton and lift me up because I'm depressed. Like, it's like, yeah, it's not an <laughs> uplift. That's the problem. You're right. It's a funeral. We, we attended a funeral. We didn't attend a party. And yeah, I don't know. This soundtrack in general, the pop songs that they have, they're much more low key. They're le less energetic. Except the Chili Peppers, like, you strike that one out of there. Yeah, that was the white guy choice. <laughs> and then, you know, I sat through it all, waiting, diligently, knowing that they would reward me. There's a middle stinger, but there's no end stinger to this. They're going to end on this beach. Yeah, this is not a stinger where, like, it's going to get you excited for what's coming up in the MCU. I guess unless you really want a T'Challa Black Panther in, I don't know, 15 years when this kid's old enough to play the role, he could do it. Or if Riri is, you know, needing someone on her show, then it, he could be <laughs> Lil' Panther, right? Lil' Panther is here. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I really hope not. But I guess it is another way to honor T'Challa is to bring someone in from the bloodline and say the family continues that way. Mm -hmm. And he calls himself Prince T'Challa, so he thinks he's in line for the throne. Oh, I thought that was a real throwdown. It's like, Princess Letitia, <laughs> you don't want to get vaccinated? I'm coming in on the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also stayed, Ryan Coogler had come out in the press and said, because of the tone of this film, much like the end of Endgame, we didn't feel a post credit stinger was appropriate. Now, Endgame felt like closing a book and so that's why to me no end credit stinger felt appropriate but here kugler just didn't think it would fit this film it would undercut the emotion of its ending and so i knew there wasn't anything at the end but i waited because sometimes they cheat on that sometimes they don't have it like the avengers didn't have its shawarma scene until it actually was released so i stayed the first time i watched it 
The second time, man did heads whip around when Marjorie and I are leaving the theater right after the mid-credits stinger. <laughs> people were like, oh my god, they're leaving. Oh my god, they're gonna miss it. Those people don't know, yeah. It's always weird when people stand up when the credits start at a Marvel film, because I'm like, guys, there's gonna be more. Mm-hmm. We all know this. You know, sometimes 2.40, my bathroom limit is around that time. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. But I, I, again, I appreciate that this is the stinger for this film. I, again, maybe not a great MCU film, but appropriate for the tone of what they've done here. Uh, Agree. They kept it in tone. We're, they leave us with the promise that Black Panther will return, but we don't know when. And there's not even a tease for Ant-Man 3 and, and the next movie, which is only, what, three months away. Well, before we get to Ant-Man, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Black Panther, Wakanda Forever? Jacob. I kind of feared this. Stewart, I understand how you felt when you stood up for Halloween Kills so fervently and really defended that film when a lot of people uh, had problems. I had problems with that. And now I'm, I'm feeling like that's the way this review is going because I thought this was a great film. I emotionally tapped into something that I didn't know that I really needed to process. Again, I look back at a film like The Dark Knight, and I'm not saying these equal each other in greatness. But The Dark Knight, part of the power for that film for me is the way, having lived through 9-11 and, and seen the post-9-11 world with fear of terrorism, with surveillance from the government, like that Dark Knight film really spoke to me because it tapped into that moment. And this one, I guess, is speaking to me because it's tapping into a moment as well where we are really a, a humanity, but especially as Americans, a nation that is grieving, that is going through something because of of the last couple of years where there's been so much pain, death, and just anger. And I felt that in this film, that this was a film trying to process all of that. And maybe that's a lot to expect from a, a Disney Marvel film, but I, I feel like because of Bozeman's situation, like they were more up to that challenge. And, and that was another surprise to me. I kind of rolled my eyes. I didn't get into the whole celebrity thing with his death. I'm like, okay, just move on. I He wasn't the best thing about that Black Panther movie. It should be easy to do, but I really... Again, felt like his presence. I, I'm like, okay, I get what people liked about him and, and why they were sad about that. Like, so this movie spoke to me in a way that I did not expect emotionally, just speaking about our times. And then just, yeah, I love what they did with Namor, like how they changed his origin stories. And again, making Black Panther, or maybe this should just be Wakanda forever, but making this part of the Marvel universe more about, yeah, politics and, and about the past and history and, and how can these fictionalized nations that are set up maybe in the same way as the United States with lots of resources, lots of power, how can we find a better way to go about how they interact with the world than maybe we've done with our past? So again, a, lo a lot of topical things that really hit me. And then just visually, I thought this looked great. It's just a weird sci-fi film. That's how I kind of experienced it. Except every once in a while, they'd have to remind me Ironheart was here and the Midnight Angels that felt like Iron Man. I'm like, oh, okay, this is a Marvel film. But for the most part, yeah, just these two weird sci-fi nations bumping up against each other. And visually, like a costumed designs like everything I think looked great I really connected more with Letitia Wright in this one than I did the first one I I don't know I I felt her pain in this one maybe I process it similar to how a, a atheist scientist would so that spoke to me so I I thought this was a very powerful film and do I dare say it do I dare throw down and say that this is the best movie about indigenous blue people fighting outside nations who are stealing their natural resources? Oh boy, risky. Take that, James Cameron. Take that with your avatar and your, your next 
17 future Avatar films. I'm already calling this is the best, but no, I, I will tentatively say it. I, I'll have to revisit this maybe in a few years, revisit Winter Soldier, but this, because it moved me so much emotionally and it felt so much more mature with the way it, it handled these topics. Like, it, this is my favorite film of the MCU. I'm going to throw down and say that. That's why I feel like this is a real Halloween kills moment for me because I feel like that yeah. is an unpopular opinion, uh-huh. especially with the three of us here. But yeah, <laughs> I am shocked. Like, I know people say Jacob is tired of the MCU. He should be off those shows. Like, yeah, like I felt like they've hit formulas, but this one hit me different. And to be phase four, the worst phase of the MCU. And I'm like, no, here's the best movie though, of all 30 or so films. Like, yeah, strong recommend for me. Stuart. Wow. Okay. Well, that's cool. I mean, I can recognize you're right. I did the same thing with the unpopular Halloween movie. So I know where you're (laughs) at, Jacob. And I do feel like it's worth acknowledging the idea. Not only were they going forward without Chadwick Boseman, but they were going into production during COVID and had to, again, I can't imagine how difficult it was for them to make this film. You can feel that. I look back at the original Black Panther and it was not like one of my very favorites. I did break down a a ranking and I put it in second tier. I think it's my eighth favorite MCU movie. It's, It's in the top third but it's not about my very favorite. But for so many people, it's worth pointing out, Black Panther is the only one to get a Best Picture nomination. It is one of the highest grossing. I think it's the highest grossing solo movie of any of them. Like, it touched people in ways because it was inspiring. And the struggle of this movie is that it is the opposite of inspiration. It is depressing. This movie is about people struggling to step into the void and continue to do their job when they don't have a center. And that is fascinating to watch, but ultimately why I find this so unfulfilling a piece. No one does actually step up and proclaim that Wakanda will live on with them in the lead. I mean, Shuri is not my Black Panther. I'm just going to put it out there. Loved her as the supporting techie sister, man in the chair kind of character, but all of her dramatic struggle is missing. And I don't know why I've speculated, but all I can say is I'm not feeling her pain in this movie. And Namor, you're no killmonger, you're fishmonger. Like, you suck. I hate you, and I hope I never see you again. And Riri, you can just stay on Disney+, Plus because you're not movie material either. I feel like, because it's powerful, you are right, Jacob, it's powerful to think about loss and what this production very specifically had to process. The gift is that you're able to find it. And here, they're still struggling. They're still stuck in how do we move forward, because I don't believe they found their Black Panther. I don't believe they found their villain. I don't believe they've created the inspirational feelings that will make this movie last and have the same cultural impact. I think that this is a tough call. I put this in the mixed category where it's like you could argue recommend or not recommend. Ultimately, I put it right there with Ultron of like, mm, it's bloated. There's some good ideas. There's some good scenes, particularly in the beginning, but like Iron Man 2, Ultron, Wakanda Forever. It's kind of right there in one of those just kind of mixed, unsatisfying I struggle with movies that I think you're right. We'll take time to truly process. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to say 
it's worth seeing. A uh, mild recommend because of Angela Bassett, because of Okoye, because of that great drilling platform scene, the cool designs, the visuals, the soundtrack. There is enough here for me to give the tip to green, but one of my favorites, no. Wow, I did not see Stuart giving a green arrow after this review. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that means this is actually going to have three green arrows on the site because I come right down the middle of the two of you. I can't possibly love this as much as Jacob because this film is too long with too many characters. We glossed over because there's not a whole lot to talk about, but once Shuri gets back to Wakanda, there is a whole lot of just chit-chat trying to give Nakia's character some backstory, like why wasn't she in Wakanda to begin with? Why wasn't she at the funeral? It needed to be tightened up. There's too much Everett Ross who does not impact this plot in any way other than make th desperate phone calls that don't impact anything. <laughs> I mean, if they're using him to set up Black Panther 3, great. It'll help in retrospect, but it's poorly inserted here seeing defontaine again initially that excited me i'm like oh good we're going to get more of that ongoing mcu thread i thought we we're gonna see her like trying to recruit ironheart or something at the end but she really does nothing no she does nothing in this except a little bit of comic relief she'll come over and jump on your peloton <laughs> but especially watching this the second time the lags in this movie really hit. Mm -hmm. And the action is good. I expect nothing less from a Marvel movie. They've got the people there who are going to make the action scenes good. The question is, is the action motivated? And I found both the car chase and the boat fight at the end to just be meh. You know, neither one of them really excited me. It's the first attack on the Navy SEALs boat that's really good, and then the attack when Namor attacks Wakanda is a pretty good scene. They've taken several great characters and minimized them and then maximized Shuri. Letitia Wright is top build here. And like I said, she is not the center that this film needs. She can't glue all these pieces together. But there is that great boat scene and I do like Namor a lot. And so I'm able to give this a recommend. It's certainly in that middling tier of Marvel movies. It's not nearly as good as the first one. It really lacked that first one's magic. But I end up just saying about this movie, it was fine. It wasn't good. It certainly wasn't bad, but it was fine. And that's enough to get you a weaker green arrow. I have a fine category. I did look at the whole MCU <laughs> and it didn't make fine. It was more mixed. It, to me, Iron Man 2. Think about that one. Like, it had all that cool stuff with Mickey Rourke and the whip and flipping the things during the car race. And then, yeah, it, suddenly other agendas would come in and we'd have to have Sam Jackson, like, setting up things. And that really, it made the flow wrong. And this movie doesn't flow well. And you definitely feel it's two hours and 40 minutes length. So I think... Again, it's just problematic. It's a problematic film. And again, as someone who enjoyed this, I usually complain about the length of films. Like, I had no problem with the length. Like, I just connected with this one for some reason. I understand that is an outside opinion, seeing a lot of the reaction to this. Yeah, well, no, you did a good job of, of really speaking to how it could move audiences. It was helpful. I wish I felt that. I felt jealous. And hearing you describe this movie, I wish I had experienced it that way. Because it could have been 
that film. But again, I think, again, not liking Riri, not liking Namor, not liking uh, Letitia Wright's Panther. It's just a hole in the center of this movie that has yet to heal for me. So if it's about healing, I'm not done yet. I'm still hurting. This film could have been much better in my mind if they had recast T'Challa because my problem with this film is Letitia Wright. She just can't carry the emotions of this. And if you'd brought in another actor, maybe they could have. Yeah. But it's not one of the worst. I mean, I, I do feel like, you know, there's there are worse Marvel movies. It's right in there in the middle. I think that's what I put it around 18 or 19 out of 30, that's where we're at. You know, if, if Shang-Chi is at the very bottom, Incredible Hulk. Is that your worst now, Stuart? It kind of is. Worse than Thor. And Eternals. <laughs> the bad ones are the first two Thors, Incredible Hulk, Shang-Chi, and Black Widow. Those are just bad films. There's been about 10, 12 efforts that are, yeah, much more in the not recommend category. I'll struggle with this one probably forever because I do like certain things about it. I think you heard laced with the anger is the fact that they were so close to getting it right. And my dis I'm disappointed is really what it is. This is the most disappointing movie of the year because that trailer told me everything was going to be all right. And it was beautiful <laughs> and it looked like they were had really made a classic. And when I saw the finished result, I liked the trailer a whole lot more. Well, I think that taking our three recommends, Marvel will be crying all the way to the bank. Yeah. The projection <laughs> is this is going to make $175 million in its opening weekend just in North America. Sorry, The Rock. Letitia Wright brings in more money than you with <laughs> Black Adam. <laughs> yeah, that's a funny one. But again, we all know that that's on goodwill and the fact that, you know, yeah, the Marvel is winning. The fact that the first Black Panther is one of the biggest yeah. films for Marvel. Yeah, Marvel has the ability, again, the fact that Doctor Strange 2 made similar box office doesn't mean that people love Doctor Strange 2. I think that right now Marvel is still the biggest game in movies. And when they put out a product, people turn out, particularly if it's a sequel to one of their true classics. And so... I'm interested. I'm really desperately curious of how they can show direction. I really feel like Phase 4 was a mess, and they really need to tell me. I mean, I thought everything was about going to space. Is that where Ant-Man's going? No, he's going to the quantum universe. We're going back to, frankly, to tie in with Loki, I feel. Like, it's about the multiverse. Okay. All right, so that's where we're headed, because I know that Fantastic Four is coming, and we know that Sam Jackson's been in outer space for a long time. Like, I feel like the cosmos is calling us, but all right, we'll go back to the quantum realm, and I like Loki. I'll be game for whatever Ant-Man does in the quantum mania. Trailer looks good. I laughed, and it also had some pretty decent intrigue as to what the plot's going to bring, and yeah, I think with Kang, we're definitely setting up that next Avengers film coming in, I think, phase six. We've got a ways to go. Will we be alive for it? How, yeah. Is that another decade? <laughs> I think we're looking at 2025, 2026. Okay. It's going to come before you know it. There's just so much Marvel between now and then. Although not for us. Again, we're taking a break. We're going to cover a series that, you know, the sequel came out a couple months ago, but uh, we didn't want to miss Fletch. It is this bizarre thing that like for decades, people have been screaming they want a Fletch 3 because Chevy Chase made this cult film in the 80s. We're going to cover 1985's Fletch with Chevy Chase, the sequel Fletch Lives, and then this new Confess Fletch with John Hamm in the next three weeks so here on the main feed. 
Meanwhile, on the donation feed, our Wicker Man series kicked off on Friday. We reviewed the original 1973 The Wicker Man. We've had a lot of requests to review that. We've also had a lot of requests to review the 2006 remake. But what's in between? Yeah. There is a third film. Yeah, and that's what's this Friday. Believe it or not, all things wicker burn, apparently, including the wicker tree, which burned up so fast, I don't think anyone noticed. Yeah, a.k.a. Trailer Trash Love. Be there for it. It's amazing. (laughs) Yep. It's part of our Platinum Series. We're running 2022. We'll sing for our supper. We appreciate our donors. (laughs) Hope you can join us on Fridays. Should be a good time. It's for donors who donate $40 or more during this donation drive. If you do that, you're going to get a bevy of bonus podcasts. We've already done six Adam Family reviews for the Silver Level. And then we're going to be doing a lot of 100 years of dystopia reviews, 10 of those coming up starting in December. And in between, we've got our platinum level. If you donate for platinum, you're going to get all of those podcasts and support now playing, which we desperately need for you to do in order to keep doing this show. Thank you to everyone who's donated so much. We greatly appreciate you. And... Hope that some others come on board to listen to this Wicker Man series. So Jacob, Stewart, thank you for joining me. And let's just hold our breath till 2025 when the The Avengers Avengers Assemble! Thank you for listening to this episode in the now-playing Avengers Retrospective Series. Lucky for us, we got the best seats in the house. Part of our Marvel Comics Movie Retrospective Series. Your work has impressed a lot of people who are much smarter than I am. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We're adjourned. We're adjourned for the day. Okay. You've been a delight. Head to NowPlayingPodcast.com to hear reviews of all the Marvel Cinematic Universe films. From Iron Man to Guardians of the Galaxy to Endgame, we've reviewed every Marvel film at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Good luck keeping up. And while at our website, you can find reviews of other Marvel movies, including the Fox X-Men, Deadpool, Daredevil, and Fantastic Four films, New Line Cinema's Blade Trilogy, The Punisher movies, Sony's Spider-Man, Ghost Rider, and Venom films, and dozens more. I'm bringing the party to you. You can also find reviews of every DC Comics movie, plus hundreds of other movie reviews of series like A Nightmare on Elm Street, The Fast and the Furious, Ghostbusters, Jurassic Park, and more. Find over 1,000 in-depth movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. Therefore, what I'm saying, if I'm saying anything, is welcome back. Subscribe to Now Playing on your podcast app of choice and get an all-new movie review every single week. We're gonna knock their socks off. Want even more Now Playing reviews? By being a Now Playing patron or donor, you can get two reviews each week. Is it too much of a problem to ask? Because I'm... I'm, Okay, okay. I really need your help here. Now Playing is an independent podcast without any sponsors or ads. We rely on listener support to keep our show going. Are you going to step up or not? Donate to our show, and as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. 
Supporters get perks including bonus podcasts every Friday, the ability to listen to us live, and you can even pick a movie for us to review and join us on the podcast. We need heroes. We need you. Find all the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. It's a small price to pay for salvation. You can also compare notes with us on Letterboxd. Go to letterboxd.com forward slash nowplaying to see what our hosts are watching when we're not recording podcasts. And follow Now Playing on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. It's strange. Maybe. Who am I to judge? Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Well, multi-platform global operation. Associate produced by Jason Latham. He's pretty good at that, right? Now Playing is edited by Arnie. Now might be a really good time for you to get angry. That's my secret, Cat. I'm always angry. Now Playing credit narration by Brock. Are you making your voice deeper? No. <gasps> you are. just did it again. You're the gun, This man. is my voice. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the views of Venganza Media Incorporated. Just stick to the official statement and soon this will all be behind you. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. You really think just because you have an idea, it belongs to you? Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of and may not be used without the express written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. On behalf of the Time Variance Authority, I hereby arrest you for crimes against the sacred timeline. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2022, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Hey, fellas. Hey, wait, where are you going? I've got so many more stories to tell. You know, when Don Cheadle just suddenly was, what was his name? Terrence. Terrence. Stan- uh, not Terrence Stan- Howard. Uh, I know. Yeah, I wanted to say Terrence Malick. Terrence yeah, Howard. Terrence Howard. <laughs> yeah. And then I have a mech category, which is like Immortals, Iron Man 3. I- immortals, you mean Inhumans? Oh. Or Eternals. I can't tell which one you mean. Oh, yeah. What? Yeah. What? Eternals are the bottom. I mean, like, no <laughs> yeah. question. No, no, no. It's man. That was, no. Inhumans? The wig? Wait, wait, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What a TV pilot we had to watch? <laughs> what? They're not called the Inhumans? Yeah. You said Immortals. Oh, okay. Who are the Immortals? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think that's a DC yeah. team. <laughs> Clearly, I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. I meant, yeah, no, I meant uh, the Eternals is in the Mac category. Okay. The Inhumans is absolutely the worst thing Marvel has okay, made me watch <laughs> outside of its official universe or inside its official universe. I mean, Man Thing and all of, you know, some of that 90s stuff. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm talking about MCU. Yes. Yes.